Duncan Trussell is a comedian, psychonaut, philosopher, and in this conversation, we talk about everything in this wild world, this spectacularly bizarre future with AI and semen-powered spaceships and everything that you could possibly imagine. We have a lot of fun and cover a lot of interesting topics, so I hope you guys enjoy this show with Duncan Trussell. But first, a word from our sponsors. First up, we have Apollo Neuro. Now, Apollo Neuro is a wearable that has these warm, pulsing vibrations that actually go through the device. And it's really interesting to feel the effects that this has on your nervous system. It's something that Vailana and I will use both when we're in a medicine journey or a meditation or sometimes a breathwork experience. But honestly, it doesn't have to be during any of those experiences. The effects of the Apollo wearable will be noticeable whether you're actually paying attention to it or not, or whether you're in one of those transformational or transcendental states or not. Some of the results of the clinical trials that they've done on Apollo Neuro have shown that users experience 40% less stress and feelings of anxiety, 19% more time in deep sleep, up to 25% increases in focus and concentration. And all of these different effects are based on different programs and different pulses that the Apollo Neuro actually pushes through in the vibrational mechanism of the device itself. Just like our brain waves pulse at different frequencies that allows us to actually access different states of consciousness, this is working in not exactly the same way, but it's working in a similar way, pushing out different frequencies of pulses that are sensed by the skin and received by the nervous system. It's a really cool device developed by neuroscientists and doctors. You may have heard Dr. Dave Rabin talk about it on my podcast already. So if you're interested, go to apolloneuro.com slash Aubrey. That's Apollo, N-E-U-R-O.com slash Aubrey, and you will get $40 off of the wearable. Next up, we have Fit for Service, and I'm really excited to just share one little piece. For Sedona, we're putting together one of the most powerful initiations that I've ever conceived with the help of some of the great thought leaders and it's going to be going into what we call our shameplex all of those areas where we've felt powerless we've felt ashamed and understanding the difference between shame and guilt and understanding the power that comes from thinking yes i may have done something that i would do differently but that doesn't make me a bad person and getting to the root of this shame is part of going into the shadow and bringing the light of awareness to it and then releasing that because shame is the antithesis of living, of life. And so that's just one of the many things that we're going to be doing in this journey down in Sedona. I just can't wait to share it with you. It's evolving and growing, and I'm getting more excited every moment as we dive into the depth of each different workshop and each different facilitator's mastery that we're going to be bringing and all the musicians that are going to be there, the community, the Red Rocks, it's going to be epic. So go to fitforservice.com and check out our upcoming Sedona retreat. Next up, we have On It. So right now, I'm in the process of making my packing list for Burning Man. Now, for those of you who don't know anything about Burning Man, you're in your camp for a week. It's a wild time, and you're putting your body under intentionally pleasurable stress. 
Now, this is one of the things that Onnit was created for. Yes, it's for performance in the gym. You have your Shroom Tech Sport for a workout, your Total NO for a pump. You have your glutamine and your protein and all of this to get you in ideal physical shape. You have your mental performance suite, Alpha Brain, Alpha Brain Instant, Alpha Brain Black Label, which is the absolute Cadillac of nootropics. But then there's also just the, man, my body needs a lot of support. And that's the key minerals and the krill oil and the active B and the total human packs. All of these things are absolutely essential, no matter whether you're trying to just survive your time out on the playa in the desert or whether you're trying to reach peak optimal performance. And honestly, even with Alpha Brain Black Label, it's such a mood enhancer for me personally that I pretty much take it universally, whether I'm going to be podcasting or doing something cognitively, or I just want to feel that kind of mental energy and alertness that actually improves my mood. Plus, there's rarely a situation where I'm not going to enjoy one of the new Onnit cookies and cream protein bites. Those things are ridiculous. So if you're interested, go to onnit.com slash Aubrey. That's O-N-N-I-T dot com slash Aubrey and save 10%. And now an uninterrupted podcast with Duncan Trussell. Duncan Trussell. Aubrey. Here we are. Hello. We each have our nicotine delivery devices. I'm having a cigar. You're having a Yours very- Yours is way cooler than mine. Cute you, pink vape. Yeah. It's like, a, it's the, it's truly really, first of all, I have to say this, don't vape. I, I feel bad vaping publicly. <laughs> like I'm embarrassed by it, but I'm addicted now. Uh, so I've gone from like- making fun of people who vape to becoming one of them, and even worse, like as punishment from the gods, I've become addicted to something called an elf bar. Oh. Yeah, it's delicious, but it Ooh. definitely looks like I'm smoking lipstick. Does it taste like real elves? You know, I'm gonna guess no. <laughs> like, I think elves probably taste like shit, like if I you had think? to bet. Yeah. I bet they're verdant. I bet they're like green. I bet it's like a kale salad. Interesting. You know, because they're living in the forest. Bad news kind of for part of the <laughs> Could be like ayahuasca, though. That'd be tough. I think they probably, yeah, they probably have some kind of like built-in stink or like acidic, awful taste, you know, like the frogs. Like, you know, they're probably like equipped. I love that we're trying to like figure out <laughs> the taste of elves within three seconds would, of your And pocket. would they get you high? The elves? Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's what probably would, why there's like? no more elves. If an elf was if an elf was a psychedelic, what would it, what do you think it would be? Uh, it's going to be definitely some combination of like mushrooms and ketamine, probably yeah, some like mix like of those two. I like that. A disassociative, but maybe a little more like of that kind of like mushroom ambient sentient. It's communication like stars meet thing. the trees. That's it. Stars meet the trees. Yeah, that's an exactly. Elf. God help you if you get people high when they eat you. It's <laughs> You're the fucked. worst thing to be. Yeah. Well, people will want you at least to stick around. That's one thing about, you know, like I totally acknowledge all of the problems that exist with sources of psychedelic medicine, including emboga and ayahuasca and peyote. And is, there's real issues and, and concerns that we have to be aware of. But one thing I'm confident in is when humans love something – we will fucking make sure that it exists. Right. You know what I mean? Like we're going to be planting it, growing it, spreading it, cultivating it. Unless it's the woolly mammoth. 
Did we love them though? We fucking love the mammoth. People enough to paint them on walls. They <laughs> yeah, love the true. mammoth. They, you know, we also like to, like consume it to the point of it no longer exists. Maybe if we if we crave it too much, then we just can't fucking help ourselves. Exactly. I mean, I would guess that we live on a planet that's like the. I don't know if you've ever gone to Sizzler at the end. It's been a minute. Me too. <laughs> yeah, a long minute, and I will never return. But if you ever find yourself hammered at a Sizzler when they're about to close, and there's just the dregs of the buffet, and you don't care, you're going to eat it anyway, but <laughs> that might be our planet. Yeah. You know what I mean? We're at the end of a night at Sizzler. It's and just all a that's... bunch of people who failed that marshmallow test, which was like, don't eat this marshmallow yeah. for five minutes and we'll give you three marshmallows. That's it. And they're looking at it like, ah, fuck it. Marshmallow now. Yeah, eat it. Yeah, for sure. There, This planet probably produced all kinds of things like massive cubes of psychedelic chocolate. It probably would like <laughs> rain coffee. You know what I mean? It's all gone. We fucked it all up. Uh, yeah, you might be right there. Now we're down to what? Lettuce. We've got <laughs> carrots. <laughs> yeah, like, infinite amounts of those. Just all the shit nobody really wanted to eat. They'll do. I mean, we'll do it. By the way, carrots not. are great. I don't mean to not carrots. Some people hate cooked carrots. That's like something I've found out. Like cooked carrots like fuck people up. Somehow. Really? Yeah. I don't know why. I think a good cooked carrot is nice. A little balsamic glaze. Nothing wrong with that. Well, because they don't know that you can put stuff in it. Like this is. these are people who like just threw it in boiling water. Like, this sucks. <laughs> like, this is the Tastes worst. like shit. It's yeah. soft. They don't know. It's like a medium for anything you want to put in it, probably. Yeah, that was my as, guess. Not as good as an elf. Well, you know, yeah. I'm going to guess. <laughs> I don't know. They're all gone. No more fucking elves. They ran away. Yeah, except, now except, except now they're in bars. Ugh. Oh, God. I deserve any roasting I get for this thing. <laughs> so, Duncan... We're talking a little bit about the wild times that are coming ahead. What do you think, man? Do you think it's going to be kind of chill and we're all just being rapturists and worried about everything? Or you think it's going to get real squirrely or real dark or some combination in between? Um, you know, I, I, I th this is probably like a cheap way out of answering your question because, you know, especially on podcast, a prophecy is always <laughs> going to backfire on your fucking ass, no matter what. Right. Someone's like, if I say, you know, Aubrey, I think things are going to take a turn for the better, even though like fear is like is seeped into so many of us via the news and all that we, we consume, things are going to take a turn for the better and we're going to find a way to be harmonious and use technology in a positive way. They'll take that. And then they'll put it over nuclear bombs going off in New York. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And you look like an asshole. Yeah. On the other hand, if you go the other way and you're like, oh, you know, 1% of the human population is going to have control over armies of robot dogs with machine guns on their backs. And they're going to dominate the entire planet. Then they're going to show like the infinite music festival that starts when the stars align and be like, look, you were so scared. That wasn't really going to happen. So like, I think uh, to me, it all comes down to like, and this is the cheap one, it, your your own projections, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, cause I have been an apocalypse. I have experienced an apocalypse 
uh, just by eating too much weed and being around the wrong people. Right. There didn't it didn't require any kind of like uh, chaos or earthquakes or fires or famine. Just my own subjective uh, configuration mm. can produce an apocalypse around me, regardless of external circumstance. So, I imagine the that the trick would be to like make it so that you aren't apocalypse apocalypsizing. What's the Apocalizing. Don't apocalize yourself <laughs> if you could help. I mean, apocalize yourself in the true sense of the word, the lifting of the veil, allow yourself to be uh, tr true and right. real, but maybe don't like go all day long thinking about like Dateline episodes and looking around imagining. Well, well, I think that, so first of all, I don't think that's a cheap way out. I think that's a very insightful way out because I think like genuinely all of this talk about the multiverse we think about it like an externalized universe that's separately created by something else other than us but right. really we're walking around in a multiverse now where we're in a universe of our own fucking story yeah. where every everything we think see perceive is slightly different than another person right who thinks perceives something similar but it's not right you know so like we're in this co-created multiverse which we can call the universe the one verse yeah and potentially there are other whole entire universes but we we have a multiverse that we're participating in which is our own psychic frame our own purview into reality right like that is for sure yes for sure yeah like everybody at the airport that's you're looking at just different universes yeah like, hanging out together exactly everyone and you look at that and you think to yourself oh that could have been me you know or you watch the john wayne gacy documentary and you think i could have been john wayne gacy like a, a few wrong turns a few like bad experiences some shit goes wrong up here who knows a micro stroke here and there the next thing you know you're climbing out of your fucking basement after burying somebody you strangled down there we could be anything. You can yeah. be. I don't think people like that idea. People hate that idea. Yeah. This isn't something that's been. I've been on this this trip for a while, and a lot of my psychedelic medicine journeys have been pointing me to this. It's the full breadth of our human polarity. Like right. we are all the dark and all the light in latent possibility. Yeah. Now, what we choose to express is going to be some point of identification on that polar spectrum from all the way good, call it Yeshua on one side, call it Satan on the other side. Yeah. But we're the entire breadth of all of that, and we just choose where we're at. And sometimes we're not entirely choosing. Sometimes our conditioning is steering us. But I do believe that we have some choice as to the actions we take and the expressions we make. But if we really look close enough, we're going to see all that shit, all the horns and all the angels' wings. Right. Like the... Oh, like it's it's the idea of thinking itself, you know, sort of like uh, a lot of people, me included, a long time ago, like I used to feel some responsibility for my thoughts. So, you know, like I don't know if you've ever had the thing happen where like all of a sudden you're like wondering, like, I wonder what the president's shit looks like. You know what I mean? Like, and then you're like, why the fuck am I thinking that? I mean, I have worse, honestly. This has been like a personal struggle that I haven't talked about, but it's what psychologists would call intrusive thoughts. Yeah. Where I'll just be sitting around with somebody I love and then I'll think, punch, 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 smash, smash, smash. And I'll be like, where the fuck did that thought come from? Yeah. You know, or like some crazy way in which it almost feels like I'm taking the eraser to a beautiful story and or like grabbing the a piece of art of canvas of my own life and just crumpling it up and burning it. Aren't 
all thoughts intrusive? In some ways, yeah. I mean, I think sometimes you can intend a track, especially when you're able to like get into your mind and set your intention, almost like meditating. Yeah. You can intend your way through a track of thought. Yeah. But a lot of times they just appear. I've Yeah, to me it just seems like you kind of pick the thoughts you want to focus on. And because it's like, I can't make a thought appear. Like, it gets, it's a really interesting concept, which is thought, by the time you are like thinking, as we call it, really what you're doing is remembering a thought. Like, something that's bubbled out of your brain mm. has instantly been encoded into memory. And so you're having a memory of something that your brain just kind of like barfed out. And so from that perspective, the whole idea of who we are, especially if you feel wound up in your thoughts, is kind of off in the sense that, yeah, maybe you can like decide, all right, I'm going to think about a rainbow. I'm going to think about a monk turning into a rainbow. But the part of you that decided to think about a monk turning into a rainbow, like wherever that came from, where did that come from? What bubbled up that initial thing that came out? Is that your own autonomous decision? Were you down in your subconscious cooking up the next thing you're going to say? No, it just appeared. Mm. So claiming ownership of it is kind of interesting. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a curious thing people do. It's at do. the very least a paradox because there is a, there is a possibility that the witness consciousness, the I am. Yeah. The I am is, I think, where free will actually rests in that level of consciousness. But there's not a lot of desire from the I am because it's a unified field of I am that we're participating in. Right. So the desire to think about anything is not really there. But the possibility that you can think about anything, I think, from that place of of confident, of consciousness and creation, I think is is possible. But then what you end up thinking about, I think, is mostly what you're talking about, which is conditionally related to things going on in your body. I think your body produces a lot of thoughts. There you go. Your body's part of like the biggest thinking apparatus that we have. Right. Yeah, for sure. There's so many weird stories about this. Like a famous story you've probably heard of. Have you heard of this uh this guy gets a heart transplant and ends up marrying the person's wife? who gave him the heart. <laughs> Have you ever heard of That's this? That's cool, no. Yeah, and and then, and I think the creepy part of it, and I might be mixing stories here, forgive me internet if this is total bullshit, but I do, think I remember like checking it. I think like the person's heart, I think that person killed themselves also or something, so it was like, and I think that person killed himself, something oh, like boy. that. Yeah, like the, like by taking another person's heart into you, you sort of take their personality into you or whatever the the thing that we're talking about is. Like there's neurons in the heart. Now you know? people are going to be hunting for hearts of really open-hearted fucking awesome people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people did. I mean, like warriors would like eat of the course. heart of their opponent. You know, they would like eat it. So, um, yeah, I mean, I do think that a lot of like – what we think of as our identity or personality, we don't have quite as much choice over it as we would like to imagine. We, mm -hmm. uh, and, and in fact, whatever that thing is, is so transient anyway that it's uh, probably a little bit like an imaginary friend. Yeah. You, know, you sort of want it to exist. You, you talk to it. 
you have like a sense of it being there, but it's not real. Right. How could it be some permanent identity, some innate essential self? I mean, it doesn't yeah. seem to be one. It seems it feels to me like a Russian nesting doll to a certain degree. Like there's an yeah. identity a cap encapsulated in kind of like a super identity, like a soul identity. And this is only from my own journeying, right? Yeah. Of what I've experienced. The personality self, the small self, as Paul Selig would call it. Right. And then there's this kind of larger embodiment of self, which seems to transcend the physical body and the limitations. And it's felt like I've been able to access that non-specific Aubrey, the Aubrey that's beyond this Aubrey, but has existed as many different iterations of Aubreys that carried many different names, right? but still has a, a unique identity. And then there's the absolute obliteration that goes all the way to the unified field with the divine, like on a 5-MEO journey or certain other different medicine journeys where you completely dissolve into the one or the zero, the everything or the nothing, which they have subtle distinctions, but nonetheless, it's still... A unified field and so i think it's like it's very interesting to to think about our identity but i think of it like nesting dolls within the dimensional existence that we have right yeah the nesting dolls yeah i've thought of, that's interesting the uh so the, in, in buddhism this distinction gets drawn between absolute reality and relative reality and so um, relative reality, that's what we're in right now. I want coffee. I'm smoking a fucking embarrassing <laughs> vape. You know what I mean? Like I, 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 I've got a, a jug of water as I try because I want to stay hydrated because if I don't, I just dry up and feel like shit. So like that's relative reality. It's certainly here. It's definitely here. Absolute reality, which is what you're talking about, the whatever you want to call it, the totality of all things, the sum total of whatever may be, the ever-expanding circumference right. of consciousness that, like, it, it, there's a million names for the damn thing. Uh, so absolute reality is known as eternalism in the extreme. So with absolute reality, it's really funny. Like, uh, you, you, you run into this concept of, unchanging whatever. So in other words, absolute reality implicit within that idea is that absolute reality must go on forever. Mm -hmm. Must not stop. It has to go on forever. It's permanent. So you've applied, that's why it's called eternalism. Eternally permanent. How could it not be? It's incomprehensible that all that is could cease to be, that it wouldn't exist, that it's just gone somehow right. by some, who knows how or where it goes right. or what. Because then it's changing and then it's not eternal. And then it's like Paul Selig said, that which is true is always true. Right, and that's a, that's a form of eternalism. So mm -hmm. now on the other side, where with relative reality in its extreme, it becomes nihilism. Now you get hyper-materialism, the idea that like, you know, this isn't really, we're just, a, you know, you've heard a million different versions of this thing, but it's like, we're just molecules, man, temporarily coming together. We're nothing really, man. You think you're something, but you're not. There's nothing there. You're just space trash that woke up for a second. You're going to die. And that's it. Some version of that. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, nihilism. And so between eternalism and nihilism, this is us. This is where, this is why Buddhism is called the middle way. It's the place where you find a way to hold both of those realities. And that's, uh, some people call that 
the joining of heaven and earth. It's the idea of like somehow these two things coexist simultaneously. Somehow nothingness and everythingness, which is what you were talking about, mm -hmm. they're hanging out together. They're playing games with each other. They're yeah. fucking and fighting and trying to, <laughs> you know what I mean? Trying to work it out. Uh -huh. It's like a never ending debate, love affair, marriage, divorce, love affair, war. It's And it just goes on and on and on and on forever. And that's the Leela that they talk about or like the eternal game, whatever you want to call yeah, it. Yeah, the They're, polarity that creates the energy of creation itself. Like yeah. you need that in a battery, positive and negative. You need the polarity and you need those things to yeah. be attracted to each other and repel from each other. Yeah. And that's part of this substrate of life itself. So I've, I've been studying deep wisdom of Sol Solomon Kabbalist lineage with cool. uh, my teacher Mark Gaffney and it's really painted this interesting you know kind of divine pantheon and they have this idea of a, a kind of a deity force called Shekinah which is like the also known as Eros or like the the kind of the goddess divine but really when you bore down into it especially Gaffney's interpretation it's a little bit like the Tao you know, is they talk about the Tao as being older than God. And that's like a really interesting concept, older yeah. than God. So it's basically like the law, except the Tao is kind of like more of a, a neutral, it's more of a neutral void that contains the way, the Tao, the law. But Shekinah is more of, it's the same thing. It contains the way, the Tao, the law, but it's this loving energy of both allurement and repulsion and right. you know so both of those different things or the desire for autonomy is actually um more precise than repulsion so instead of thinking about just pushing something away it's like the desire to individuate and then the desire to come together oh yeah both of those two things are contained within shekinah this force that they've That's cool. they've called like the goddess and then there's then there's Elohim, which is like the supernova energy of the light traveling through the universe. So it's just looking at the divine in another way. And then there's, you know, there's Yahweh. There's all kinds of different ways that you can think about it. But really, what I've found in my last journey with El Dragon, which you were thinking about coming to, I always we'll have to do. <laughs> you always invite me. I, I I ask if you'll invite me. Then because you have you're very nice and generous, you'll say come. <laughs> and then I'm always like, I can't, man. <laughs> it's just, speaking of a dumb game between light and dark. Like, <laughs> we'll just keep going with it, though. Okay. We'll just keep going with it. Okay. But yeah, so in this, it, what I saw, what the what the medicine showed me is that this thing, you can call it the Tao if you prefer that kind of the colder idea of it, or Shekinah if you prefer the warmer, kind of more divine goddess yeah. embodiment of it. This is the substrate, the womb that births God. Zuh. so right. and that we are participating in a god that's now in all of its manifestation differentiation articulation but it's a god that's birthed out of this substrate but it's just one of many other gods right and this is not the first time the medicine has shown me this which is a fucking mind-blowing thing that there's not just god there's many gods but that requires that there to be some kind of link between them which is shekinah or the Tao, which is like the law that exists as a substrate connecting all of them. Yeah. So there's like, a, you could call that like the super god. And then maybe there's more fucking super gods. I don't know. Like It could fractal all the way up, all the way down. Gods all the way up. Well, this is actually, like it, um, 
I'm sorry if I keep going, in Buddhism, freaking Buddhist <laughs> nerd, in Buddhism. I'm, I hate that, but it's I what I'm in. I do the same thing. I just talk about psychedelics. So. It's, it's what I'm it's, into. It's our, it's it's our a, conversations. It's a symbol set, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's sure. like I might as well be like in the Wolverine comic, 489, <laughs> Wolverine's head. <laughs> it's embarrassing. Um, So you have this thing called the wheel of life or the the wheel of samsara there's different names for it in buddhism it's a mandala that represents the essentially the cycle of incarnation so you've got the realm the human realm that's what we're in right now uh and that's considered to be the most desired birth now that is a very human thing to say, isn't it? Of course, humans are like, this is the most desired birth because this is what we do. We're human-centric. But the reason they say it's the most desired birth is because the the if you, if you go this way on the wheel, you're going to end up in the realm of the gods. Mm. There's actually two distinctions in the realm of the gods. There is uh, the realm of the gods and then as this thing keeps going, and it's kind of a map of entropy really in both directions. Like if you, in the human realm, if you do good things, if you're generous, if you're, if you help, if you're not a selfish piece of shit, then you accrue this kind of momentum. Mm -hmm. You know, you know what it is. It's like sure. the more that you're like helping, the more you're not self-centered, the better you feel. The better you feel, the more you help. It produces- And the more you feel you deserve good things from the universe. That's right. like one of the mechanisms that I think people underestimate is you do good shit and it's like the universe does good shit for you. Yeah, because you feel you deserve it. And your conversation with the universe is like, here, I'm ready. There you go. That's in, in the, the in, in, so in Buddhism, this is called merit. So you're accumulating this, like whatever you want to call it, and I could think of a million arguments for, okay, what is the merit? Where is it stored? What is it like Bitcoin? Are you talking about some kind of <laughs> metaphysical Bitcoin you invest in? It's a little bit uh, market economy language or whatever, but probably uh, experientially anyone who is done is like gone through a period of going from selfishness to non-selfishness. You know, the immediate relief that comes the moment you stop being so self-centered like you yeah. it's like oh my god like my th my back was itching and to try to like fix that i've been like scratching my leg and suddenly mm -hmm. like oh fuck i'll scratch my back it feels so much better it's like if you're selfish you've been trying to deal with your own suffering by helping yourself makes sense you're a self you're hurting let me you know self-care myself and uh like a big lotioned up puddle of massaged meat and still I feel like shit. But the moment you're like cooking dinner for people, giving things to people, asking people if they need help, any of, even just with your pets, spending more time with your pets, all of a sudden you start feeling this weird boy, like lightness. So that lightness is merit. And that if lightness leads in this realm to a lot of great things. And this is mm -hmm. all the manifestation people, all the like schools of thought regarding like, you can have anything you want. And, but you know, in all those schools of thought, you can have anything you want. The way they tell you to do that is not by being a selfish asshole, right? They're not like, if you want success in this world, just fixate on you right. alone and you're gonna be great. Inevitably, there's some 
idea of helping, of letting go of your identity, and then you can get a bunch of stuff in this world. And you will become- And the less you care about it, the more you'll get. That, yeah, exactly. So this doesn't stop when you die from this worldview. This actually continues. And so when you die, if you have all of this merit, then that momentum continues and you can find yourself in the realm of the gods. Now your lifespan is infinitely longer than your current lifespan here. And you will be, all the things that you've experienced in this world as far as having what you want or thinking about something and there it is and all the things that we associate with wealth or like the, the global elite or whatever, it just keeps going. And so now you're a god. And this is why in Buddhism they say the human realm is the best realm because as a god, experiencing whatever the fuck that is, and we probably can't even imagine it, Like, uh, but it's so overwhelmingly blissful. Everything's incredible. Everything's wonderful. You forget all the human shit, yeah. all the suffering, all the stuff, all the lessons that you learn here in the human realm. It's all gone. Now you're in the realm of the gods, fully absorbed in whatever that is, but- It's boring. It, well, and there you go. And now the wheel continues to turn. Now we start having the merit begins to uh, fall away. You just get that flickering thought like, what does- that asshole smell like i think god's like, actually like, hmm, loves let me get down in there and bury myself in the perfumed garden of a beautiful lover either sex if whatever I your thing roll is the dice i would say <laughs> gods do eat ass <laughs> yes indeed. <laughs> like indeed. if i'm in vegas i'm betting <laughs> that for sure gods eat ass so the the gods um what what happens actually is either that that sort of thinking comes in or more likely, the thought comes into your head like, I don't know if I'm going to be a god forever. Like, I feel like things are changing. I feel like whatever this thing is is going to go away. It's the moment that flickers in the mind of a very wealthy person when they start getting like very, like really freaked out by their wealth. Instead of enjoying it, they're like f trying to like hold on to it as tightly as they can. They, they get worried it's going to go away. People are robbing me. This won't last. Oh, fuck. And so the thing that got them there, assuming it wasn't, you know, some nefarious act, the 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 thing that got them to that point, they stopped that behavior pattern, and now they're not generous anymore. Now they're not being kind. Now they're self-absorbed again. Entropy kicks in. Now we start going into the realm of the jealous gods. Mm -hmm. This is where the gods start fighting. And this is like in a lot of world mythologies, gods are always fucking fighting, battling each other. They're always... A, odds with each other this is the realm of the jealous gods and so jealous gods uh they because they're fighting and because they're like becoming increasingly more self-absorbed now they will fall down into the animal realm so it goes from being like i'm a generous human to holy shit i'm a god to fuck, I want to stay a god forever. I'm going to have to fight the other gods over mm -hmm. resources to, oh, shit, I'm a dog. I'm a dog. Now I really am sniffing assholes all day long. <laughs> and then then, then that continues. That momentum can continue down. Uh, and again, this doesn't necessarily mean because you're a dog, you will end up in the hell realms. But now things 
start gaining even more mass, the possibility for change or liberation, it becomes increasingly impossible because like dogs are purely instinct mostly or most mm -hmm. in the things in the animal realm, you know, my poodle, there's a noise outside. It's like, you know, when I see light, I'll sneeze. When my poodle hears anything, it shriek barks, runs around the house freaking out. It, it's not thinking, I don't know if I should bark. It seems to be waking the babies up. And every mm -hmm. time I do it, the, the lady yells at me. It just barks. And then so this gets you into the hell realms. You keep going down in the hell realms. It's like the realm of the gods. Much longer lifespan, but you're in fucking boiling oil or frozen in ice, crystallized down. And somewhere in there, maybe you start remembering, I don't think it's all about me. Mm. And then human birth again. And then... And this is such a great metaphor. I mean, you can take that literally, or you can take it as a metaphor of this constant battle that we have in our psyche behind for the, the gods that we hold of all of our ideas and all of the different ways in which our psyche yeah. can manifest all of these things. And sometimes where we can be that automatonic drone just going about our own selfish, solipsistic exactly. way, or we can be this truly open-hearted you know, being that's embodying divine consciousness, God consciousness. And that's that would it. be what the, the wisdom of Solomon is trying to share is that all of us have access to unmediated ontic identity with the divine as us living as our sacred name in this existence so there's this belief that there's more god to come and the more god to come is us as we step into our divine nature and get to be, have contact yeah with the divine as the divine is seeing through us and so all of this that you mentioned is the psychodrama which was really kind of hermetic wisdom, all is mine, the universe is mental. Yes. So it's this whole psychodrama of the way that we That's can move through heaven and hell in our own psyche. There you go. I knew you were a Buddhist. And <laughs> now, yeah, now I sure. can, uh, yeah. And, and there's a, um, my teacher, David Nickton, wrote a great book called Awakening from the Daydream. It's about that. It's about, you know, uh, looking at it in the way you just described, like you can go through all the fucking realms in one day, yeah. like you know, and and it's exactly as you described it, and and yeah, if you want to take it literally, sure, go ahead, but you know, you don't have to worry about any of that stuff till you die. But right now, you can just look at the way you're living and figure out if you're in a hell realm, if you're a god, if you're a jealous god. How do you find yourself? Because sometimes I feel the happiest when I care the most. What I, I've been on this deep quest, and in, in the lineage, I think it's been guiding me this way, because one of the biggest teachings is a process called berur, which is the clarification of your desire. Cool. Until you can clarify your desire so that your desire becomes identical with God's desire. And you get in this loop where you're saying, what do I want? Yeah. And you say, I want what God wants. And then you listen to God, and God says, I want what you want. And then at that point, you start to merge your own desire with the divine desire, and that's when you've reached, I think they call it Retzon Hashem, like that state of divine consciousness, and you're in the kingdom or Olam Haba, you know, which, which is the old language that they called it, this place where you're actually seeing the world from that different divine cool. perspective, right? But so the process of Berur, this clarification of my desire, what I've ultimately realized is that what I want is to want, and what I mm. want is to want, and what I want is to care. Like I really want to care. And when I don't, when I'm not happy, it's somehow I don't care as much as I did before. Like when I really care about the world, 
yeah. in, the, in the best way, then I'm fucking motivated. Then I want to write. I want to do poetry. I want to write books. I want to yeah. do podcasts. But when I do, just lose a little bit of that care, I'm like, fuck it. Like, how much ketamine do I have? <laughs> like, what do I want to do? Because I don't care. And yeah. so, like, for me, caring and finding the ways to care is the most important thing. And of course, there's your immediate family, wife, it's easy to care about, I'm sure kids. Yeah. And I know that's one of the things I'm looking forward to with kids is it's gonna really make me care. But yeah. but for you, like caring, like what makes you care the most? Do you have a trick? And this is part of the, it's a kind of a requisite for service to others. You gotta care yeah. the most. And and it, for me, it's it toggles where I'll care a lot and then I'll care a, a little bit less and, and be a little more selfish. Yeah. Like, do you have a practice that drives you into deeper care? I, no. I mean, I don't think, I, I don't think it would be like honest to say that I have a practice that does that, but yeah. I do have a practice that has taught me not to freak out too much when I'm in the not caring state, uh-huh. you know, so because, uh-huh. or, or in a, a way of looking at the sort of, um, penduluming in between those two places, which uh, a lot of times get associated with the head and the heart. Yeah, totally. The heads are the thinking robot thing and the heart is just pure love, pure caring. It's the child consciousness. It's the, you know, thing Jesus said, uh, you have to become like a child to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Mm -hmm. So, but uh, because uh, I am a neurotic, I'm a very neurotic, uptight person. You know, I, 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 I'm not always in my heart, and and a lot of times I'm way up in my fucking head, pure robot mode. And if I start feeling like, oh my god, I'm numb, I'm not caring, I don't feel anything right now, I don't care, then that doesn't do anything to get me out of the headspace yeah. it only yeah, yeah. amplifies it because right. it's like you know the the old saying a broken machine cannot fix itself so once you get up in your head you try to think your way out of your head yeah you can't solve a problem on the same level it was created yeah, yeah. so now you're just burrowing deeper into your fucking head and you're by the way the your thought process and all that stuff it loves it because it's like oh shit let's fix this problem mm. and it's like someone like the opposite of someone who gets you out of a maze. I don't know if that's a job, by the way. Is there? Is that a job? <laughs> Somebody that helps you get lost? Maze guy. It's like someone who's like, yeah, it takes you deeper into yeah, the maze. Like a Sherpa. Yeah, the, a reverse Sherpa. A reverse Sherpa. There, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like, okay, no, I'll get you out of here. Sure, sure, yeah. Okay. I think it's like we, the Mad Hatter would yeah, be like a yeah. metaphor for that. There you go. Yeah, exactly. That's real. That's interesting. That probably is the archetype for it. It's some kind of like trickster lunatic who's like, oh, yeah, yeah I know yeah, the way out of here. <laughs> Tea party forever, bitch. Yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> so, yeah. So, for me, when I do land in those spaces, um, I, I, just re- I just remember that every single other time I've ended up there, it doesn't last. Like, inevitably, like, I get back into my heart back into my life back into myself and that way i don't freak out quite as much when i go robot you know i struggle with that i guess a little bit it's almost like the saying oh ye of little faith you know like no matter how many times i've made it through one of these little crucibles when i'm in it or i'm in kind of scarcity or self-doubt or in this removal from my heart and in my head and and not caring you know i'll be like oh fuck here it is i'm i fucked it up i'm broken and and I have a, a little bit of that faith, but not definitely not enough. And yeah. always when I ask questions about like what you know, what do I need more of? It's always like more faith. 
Like if I'm ever I'm in contact with what I feel like is either my higher self or divine guidance, it might all be the very same thing. And it's like, what what do I need? It's always love yourself and have more faith. It's like yeah. very simple and very simple instructions. Infuriating. <laughs> it's infuriating. That shit is so infuriating because you want it. The, the 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 thing the maze reverse maze Sherpa. Yeah. He or they want it to be complex. Yeah. Like they don't want it to be like just tr- fucking drink more water, go get some sun. Yeah. Maybe like it's not a good idea to drink vodka <laughs> three weeks straight. You know what I mean? Like big, very simple. And then all of a sudden you, you're feeling good again. You're in your heart. You know, and this is the, uh, Ramdas talks about this as the experience of being lost at sea. You're in a raft and all of a sudden the waves lift up just high enough so you see an island. And then you go back down. And then for a while, the island's out of sight. And you have to remember, no, for sure, there's an island there. There's yeah. a place. There's a thing. That thing is there. I know it, even though I can't see it. And so that that's all you really have to do. And is that faith? Sure. I think it's rational, too. It's just logic. Yeah, sure. You know? Though I do agree. I mean, I think it also it is fun to be in the desert, to be, like, completely lost. Yeah, that's true. No faith. It's almost like a fetish. It's almost like a kink. Yeah. Yeah, well, it is. I mean, that it's an ad- it's a it's an addiction. It's a form of addiction. A lot of people like doing that. They like intentionally throw themselves from like one realm to the other, only because they are enjoying like you know. Look at Naked and Afraid. These fucking survivalists. Yeah, they get so hardcore about it. They don't get paid for Naked and Afraid. You know. Really? Hell no. If they paid them, I think there's all this legal shit. By the way, I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure you don't get paid. Damn. There's certainly no, like, at the end of, like, being naked in the woods for however long they're out there starving. And just full of fucking bug bites. Parasites. They're just, because they're drinking weird fucking water. They're eating weird shit. They're always puking and getting sick. Yeah. But no, I think that if there's, like, money involved, then legally it changes like, I don't know. I'm not sure about this, but they don't care. They want the challenge. Mm-hmm. Survivalists, they want to see if they can get out of the fucking woods, yeah. if they can be in these situations. It gets them high as a fucking kite. They love it. You know, when they're being driven out in the Jeep or whatever, and they're like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They love that shit. So people definitely do the exact same thing spiritually. Do you think that may be why we're maybe we've co-created these upcoming existential crises and threats. Because if you look at it, you know, I know a lot of people who are like deeply into this kind of prepper community, kind of it's all going down. There's going to be no gas. There's going to be no diesel. There's going to be no power. There's going to be no food. There's going to be, you know, and they're all fucking ready. And and they got 50,000 rounds of ammo and fucking five years of dehydrated food and all that. And look, you know, like we have a farm and Kyle's running it and we got some things that we're organizing. It's not like I'm completely removed from this. Yeah. So don't think that I'm talking shit if that's what you're doing. I'm certainly not. I'm participating to, to some degree in that. But the one part that I'm not participating in is this sense of hope and glee about the upcoming right. potential disaster yeah. that I can kind of feel from some people. Like, it's almost like you can really tell that they hope that it happens. Like, I hope I never fucking touch that food in my food pantry. Right. Like, deeply. Like, I'm super happy to throw that shit away. It's probably right. not delicious anyways. You probably know? not. <laughs> you know? So, it's like, there's zero, there's zero part of me that's looking forward to it. I say that, but then again, here I am saying, what I want is to care. 
right? And what would what when would I care? Well, fuck, I would care if the world really needed me for some reason, then I would really care. Right. So so maybe even I'm participating in this thing of we need some shit to happen. Things have been too easy for too long. We need shit to go squirrely so that we can sur- you know, rely on each other, come together as yeah. a community, survive this thing. Yeah. It's like Sebastian Junger's tribe. Nobody was happier than when the bombs were falling on London in the Blitzkrieg. You know, even though it was fucking terror and panic, they were all together and they had he something. He said that? No, Sebastian Junger did in his book, Tribe. What's his he evidence for that? He interviewed people who survived that experience and asked them what their favorite time of their life was. And their favorite time of their life was that period. Don't you, know, you think if Sebastian honesty. Younger was like, okay, let's go to Syria. <laughs> don't you think they're like, no, I'll yeah. pass. Yeah. I don't think I want to get bombed again. I think, like, I think cause that would be some artificial way that it would happen. Oh, right? they want like, they want like. I don't think that's even conscious. I right. think they just found themselves in a situation where every Englishman they saw was their brother and their sister. Right. I bet people in New York had that experience to a certain degree when the towers fell, where every New Yorker was their brother, was their sister. Yeah. If something fell, they were there to pick it up. If somebody sure. needed support, they were there with yeah. food. If there were, someone was hungry, they gave them a sandwich. It opened their hearts to being in this tribal sense of we're all in this together okay which yeah. i think is such a deeply satisfying feeling yeah that you don't even remember the other parts which are terrible but it felt so good i know what you're talking about to feel that way yes i know what you're talking it's like uh you know for fun you could imagine obviously this is not happening but just as a thought experiment imagine this like Imagine like a they live style dystopian reality where some aliens have disguised themselves as humans. They've set up all over the planet these, I don't know, technological hypno devices that are blasting out some kind of weird ray that is making people fall into what we call default consensus reality Mm -hmm. or whatever. Now, the earthquake hits, the disaster happens, that ray, whatever it may be, the hypno device, it can't function for a second. So for a second, whatever the thing, the dream that was being projected in your mind by nefarious human eating aliens stops. And now you get to feel what you really are, what the world really is outside of whatever the particular game of whatever particular Mm. state you happen to be in. And so, yeah, people love that because it's they're experiencing reality, fundamental goodness, who they are. And I get it. I I, I think probably, uh, hopefully, we don't need catastrophe to get there. And it goes back to your, yeah, totally. your your question. How do we care? How do we do it? And probably it would come from recognizing like this situation of being bombed or this situation of having to survive or this situation of suddenly not knowing if you're going to be alive tomorrow or your friends are going to be alive tomorrow is actually what's happening right now. It's happening right now. There's no bombs dropping, but people drop dead every single fucking day. People get hit by cars, have brain aneurysms, Mm. get rotten diagnoses at the doctor. Nothing is certain. I mean, this is the idea you carry death on your shoulder as a friend Mm. to, to always remind you like, shit, this is so fleeting, this human experience, you know? And- I guess like some people desperately 
are desperately afraid of that reality. So instead of going into a bomb shelter, they go into some kind of subjective mental bomb shelter, which is attaching themselves to the ridiculous idea that they're going to live to their lifespan. You know, those people, people mm. who like hear the human lifespan is however many years, 70, 75. And they're like, that's how long I'm going to live. It's like, no, you don't know that. Yeah. You know, and so they are, they're always kicking the can down the road for like, they're like, you know, I'll get my shit together, you know, closer to like 50 or something like that. But right now, this is my youth, man. Yeah. And it's like kids are fucking dying all the f time. They're on their dumb motorcycles or their stupid scooters. <laughs> they get hit by cars. They get murdered yeah. or they just drop dead. So, you know, I guess maybe the bomb, the bombs dropping were like, or like help them like illustrate illustrated the uh, yeah, reality like of mortality clear, it made it clear in present and i think one of the traps though is is that we can have that experience of interiority with a with a social group or an identity a shared identity yeah. but it typically requires an opponent or an enemy that actually creates not true interiority but pseudo interiority because we've placed something outside of us which therefore means that we're on the inside together so like if it's the mm. russians that are our enemy yeah. then we're americans but we're only americans as defined as the opponents to the russians in that case or if it's aliens right. aliens is the good one this is the ultimate fantasy because it brings the whole world together right. all of humanity comes together yeah. if the aliens attack independence day style then it's like fuck our borders fuck whose army is which fuck yeah. where the the oil or the gas comes from yeah we got aliens to deal with we're all coming together but it would still be a pseudo interiority, a feeling that only exists, not actually, but only exists as defining itself against something that is outside of us. Yes. It's just the biggest thing outside of us that we can imagine. So it's like, that's what could bring the world together. But that may not happen, or it may happen because we need it to happen and we're co-creating and co-manifesting some fucking disaster right. so that we do come together. But- Ideally, it comes from the elevation of consciousness and the recognition of our inherent state of interbeing. There you go. That you know, would be better. You're making me think of Chuck Norris. <laughs> that's, a, that's a bonus. We could just end the podcast here. I did it. I, Chuck I did. Norris. I don't know why we did it, man, but we put on a fucking Chuck Norris movie. What's that famous Chuck Norris movie where he like goes to rescue prisoners of war? What's that called? Oh, where he was Delta Force guy? Yes. Chuck Norris. He's in Vietnam. Some of his friends are prisoners of war. He tries to go back to the real world. He's haunted by his friends who are prisoners of war. He can't deal with the fact that his friends are still stuck in these rotten fucking prisoners of war camps, right? So to connect it to what you're saying, you know, how do we care? What's the caring idea if we're going to buy in to the concept of reincarnation, which I do, mm. and I don't understand it. But if we're going to buy into this concept of like energy cannot be created or destroyed and sentience itself is a form of energy, it's been and we've been on this ride for a long, 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 long time. And so because of that, I've been your mother, Aubrey, and you have been my mother. Mm -hmm. And um, we've been, everyone has been our mother. Everyone has been our child. Everyone has been our lover and friend. And everyone has been something really important to us. But generally, the idea is it's through the mother that we can start to understand. Like, Because imagine 
uh, if your mother was in real trouble, like if she needed your help, if your mother really needed you to do something to to get her out of a burning building or to like help her out of some situation, you know, a lot of us don't have great relationships with our mothers, so maybe some people are like, "Fuck that." <laughs> <laughs> but but. Uh, well, it's working for me. I can feel it coming already. I can feel the sense of like courage and actually my eyes getting watery because yeah. it's like I'll fucking do anything. That's like, and so to, to like whatever whatever it fucking takes. The question I deflected earlier because I'm I don't like saying things that are theoretical, but the, but in in uh, what's known as Tibetan Buddhism, the path to the heart or the way to caring is through the mother, and so mm. you remember. First, your love for your mother, and then you connect that to the reality that everyone has been your mother. Everyone, like, gave you everything to— And the earth is our fucking mother. Yeah. We drink her milk and her water and eat her yeah. eat her flesh and yeah. breathe her air from her lungs. Like, yeah. Even if you don't have that earthly mother, I think sometimes we can get trapped in a shitty relationship— with one of our birth parents and say, well, that's my mom. My mom sucks. No, that was the person who gave birth to you. And on one reality, yes, you can call her your mother. Yeah. But who has nourished you your whole entire life? Gaia. And who will continue to nourish yeah. you forever? You yeah. Know? Like that's that's a way to always find that connection, even if your relationship was strained. I think some people have the same, like have a, 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 a dysfunctional relationship with the earth. So even like thinking about sure. the earth as some kind of like guy in mind or any of that stuff, they don't, they don't but there is a way, like you mm. can't, like the, in Buddhism, <laughs> compassion is cultivated. Yeah. So we don't just, you don't start off compassionate. It's like any other thing, like the assumption that everyone's like, you, you, you're you're immediately like compassionate is a, is really nuts. It's not the case. It's something that's like a muscle. It has to be cultivated. So the practice of that cultivation is known as meta. And so it's so it starts with it doesn't have to be your mother. Fill in the blank. It can be any the the thing in your life, mm. whatever it may be, whatever whoever that person may be, the animal may be the co concept, whatever it may be, whatever the thing is that makes your I start uh, tearing up a little bit, which, by the way, when it's when the heart opens, tears come. This is part of the connection to the heart. Yeah. So the um, the uh, yeah. So the the steps of the thing are number one, just we like I have ways in too. You know, thinking about my children, thinking about my wife, thinking about my mom who's passed away. The this will drop me into my heart immediately now. In the old days, anytime I came into this motherfucker, I would be like, no thanks, I'm out. Mm. You know, I would because I didn't like people associate that initial going in there with, um, with, uh, pain mm. or something's gone wrong or I'm weak or I'm mm. vulnerable or any of that stuff. And so they run back into their heads, which goes back to that cycle you were talking about before, the going away and coming back. It's actually no different from when you have kids, it's the cutest incredible thing as they're individuating they will run away from you and go play and then they'll come back hug you touch your leg run away and go play and then they come back it's the story of the prodigal son the pendulum between running away and coming back it gets longer and longer as the older they get but it's always going away and coming back so similarly 
you go to the heart and then you like go back into your head and then you go to your heart and back into your head. It's, it's non-different. But if we can take that thing, whatever it may be, and then just shift it over a little bit to the point where we recognize, even if we can't imagine everyone has been our mother, surely you can imagine you have to, that everyone has a mother. As far as I'm aware, we're not in a cyborg society yet. There's no fucking clones out there as far as I'm aware. Everyone has had a mother and everyone's mother, no matter what. I don't, I, and I, I know there's a lot of bad moms out there and there's a lot of people in the throes of addiction, and madness and whatever, but deep down in there, they would die for their kids. It, it goes across all the animal kingdoms. What's the number one rule when you see a baby bear? You fucking run. You <laughs> run, you go, get the fuck out of there, go. Because the mother bear doesn't care if you're like, no, I just think your kids are cute. The mother bear's like, I just got to kill you. That's the way it goes. I don't know. You know, this right. is the law. I'm going to kill you. So that's, that's across all. Anyway, the point is, once you start recognizing that, the person you've been bullying, the person you've been talking shit about, the person you've been an asshole to, remember their mother. Their mother wants them to be okay. Their mother doesn't want them to suffer. Their mother doesn't want you to take petty vengeance on their kid. Their the la the, it, it's a heartbreak to imagine our children being bullied or hurt or having to go through all the shit you inevitably will. So this is how I think you can start caring. Yeah. And uh, but again, man, I like it's. Uh, I'm. This is more of a theoretical thing because I don't really do the meta practice at all. But I've heard a lot of great lectures on it. Yeah, it makes. I mean, it makes the most sense. And obviously, both of us are big fans. And you had a personal connection with Ramdas, mine just through his work. But you know, he says, "How do you quiet the mind? You open the heart. How do you open the heart? You start loving." anything that thing that you can love and expand it and expand it yeah. and expand it and expand it and yeah. then you open the heart and that's i think where we talked about choice this is where i think we have that modicum of choice to make yeah like we can make a move like that where we can find that thing that we can love which i just felt happen when you started mentioning my mom find that thing we could love and i could consciously go in there when i'm feeling in my head or i'm feeling disconnected like i don't care go in there and start really using that as a lever, as a portal to open my heart. And then once my heart was open, I would care about everything because I would see that love you know, as energy that was existent in all things and all beings. And then that then opens you up to that higher spiritual plane where, as Ram Dass once again said, you love everything, not every being, but everything. Yeah. Because you see that fundamental god spark yeah. that you saw in the thing that you loved in everything yeah that's it and then you're there and it's and and, and this is like i when i was hanging out with ramdas i was like so up in my head and i would just be like I, it's i feel like i can't it's too hard i can't do it and he would get that big smile because when you're around someone like that it helps a lot because mm -hmm. you do go with yeah, your heart sure, around them you sure. know and like he would just smile and be like, it's easy. And it really is, actually. It's the problem is that if you've sort of, if you've been out of, out of that space for a long time, then you could naturally not want to be there because, you know, you think, oh, it's I'm experiencing heartbreak is what yeah. people think. It's like, no, you're not. That's, you're experiencing your heart. Yeah. The thing that's breaking is your fucking ego. You're, <laughs> you know what I mean? The, right, the, right. There's, there's really no such thing, I, I think. Um, 
is is actual heartbreak. And I agree the, you completely. Know, but there is definitely a ego shattering experience that happens when you're in there because the ego wants to defend, it wants to win, it wants to gain, it wants to be victorious. The heart, it just it just loves. And that is really embarrassing if you're like a very sophisticated person who's designed like hardcore, awesome, beautiful, hyper-refined defense mechanisms as like part of your mating ritual or whatever. Mm. It's like to be all blubbery down in your heart, to be in your heart and be just completely incapable of vengeance anymore because you're recognizing mm. everyone's your mama. That's not cool, dude. <laughs> That's not in the Clint Eastwood movies. No. 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 There's no 44 Magnums involved in that story. No. It's fucking embarrassing. It's innately, perfectly, beautifully embarrassing. But the what's you know what's more embarrassing than that? Like walking around, looking around the whole beautiful world like an enemy is about to jump out of the out of the shadows or that you know what I mean? Or walking around like yeah like some asshole in Game of Thrones playing the long game, planning to show your fucking enemies, look what I became, you know, all that mm -hmm. stuff. Now that, if I'm going to pick embarrassing, I would rather take the blubbering, you know, inside the heart. And it does it. It's actually not blubbering. When you get around the people who have like cultivated that, it's- It's intoxicatingly beautiful. It's so beautiful. And it's so, it's like being around a spaceship or an alien or pure yeah. technology. It's, it's contagious. I recently had an experience with uh, Gurudev Sri Sri Ravi Shankar. Have you- Okay. Have you met him? Come on, man. You gonna say that now? What? You know when I said, when the heart opens, tears come? Yeah, that's his? Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you something wild. Okay. Number one, I guess I just admitted that I stole a line from a saint. <laughs> I'm sorry. Number two, because and here's why. I'm gonna. I gotta. I gotta. Oh, man. I, okay, this is embarrassing. <laughs> um. So, I had him on my podcast. Uh huh. And me too. I was not prepared in the sense that, like, I. I, I don't know how you can actually prepare for like meeting people like that. But he's the real deal. He's the real thing. Yeah. And so we're just talking <laughs> and he's like just being what he is. So somewhere towards the end of the conversation, I, I'm tearing up. Yeah. But it's not like he's saying everything he's saying is incredible, but it's not like some like it's. I don't know how to put it. Like, it's not like what he's saying is like something I. You don't think like that was so clever. It's like that was so true and expressed with such immaculate, yeah, like energetic resonance with what he's saying yeah. that it becomes the most profound thing you've ever heard. Yeah, not because it's a clever way to use metaphor or something, which he is clever, but yeah, that's not he the is. point. And he's funny. He's funny too. Yeah, and and, and but the yeah. So after the podcast because i do a audio podcast i uh I, and i didn't want to be performative i didn't want to be like during the podcast you're making me cry because it felt cheesy or something again i'm really in my head a lot of the time but <laughs> at the end of the interview i'm like yeah i'm you know i don't know why i started tearing up i don't and he goes well he said the, my line yeah, he goes when the heart open tears come yeah 
That's so just funny you mentioned him because I was thinking about him when we were chatting just now. Well, it was, I mean, I think for both of us, like, it's a, it's a profound experience because we talk about these states of consciousness a lot. And I think now, if I'm not wrong, both of us have had two encounters with people who we felt that energy from. And we've talked about, you know, the first one before, you've talked about meeting Ram Dass. And yeah. then I've talked about meeting Don Miguel Ruiz. Yeah. And we both shared, you know, some of this, like, oh, this is fucking feeling you get. Yeah. You know, like every hug is the hug of your long lost brother that you haven't seen your whole life, but yeah. now they're there. And every sip of wine is like the first glass of wine you've ever had where yeah. you can taste the nourishment of the grapes and the rain and the soil and everything coming alive. And the sunset's the most beautiful and the words are all... Yeah. directly from the heart like these experiences but then to meet another person that actually is a kind of a big deal because then it's not just one anomaly it's All like right. oh shit there's right like there. there's lots of people out there who are doing this thing yeah yeah and that was that's what it was for me i was like oh wow all right this is this is like it's possible yeah that's right yeah i and yes and and uh, yeah i think that like this is why you do here all the time like well you it, it's good to have a teacher it's good to have mm -hmm. that encounter to, just because you do you know it's like i don't know i'm obviously not a martial artist but like i would guess like it's going to be really hard to learn like jujitsu out of a book yeah without a great professor without anyone to train with or something like that you, you need like the example of this is what it looks like or here's the thing and you know Ram, you know, Ram, Ram, my guru, Neem Karoli Baba, was Ram Dass's guru. And you hear all these stories about, like... You never met Neem Karoli Baba, though. No, Just not in guru, the body. The, yeah, yeah. But, um, uh, but you know, you earlier you were saying you know Ram Dass through his works, mm -hmm. through his writings totally. and stuff. But that's the same. And, the um, you know, this is the sort of, like, before he died, he really was like doing a great job of like putting out there like you know this thing my body thing this is just not me like this is just something yeah, death of is like taking off an old shoe that and he was really getting all of us ready to, like he was like you know really emphasizing this idea mm -hmm. and um yeah so the with Neem Karoli Baba or any any of, of them or what they are, it, it's hyper accessible. It, like it's instantaneously accessible. It's just right there. But it's nice to see it when it has a body too. Yeah. It's nice to see what it's it looks the, like in a body. It's the four minute mile. It's the, you know, backflip on the fucking motorbike or whatever it is. The thing that was seemed to be impossible that someone does and now it's possible. Yeah. You that. know, that's the That's the thing that like, blows your mind yeah. and what's interesting is i feel like i feel like the since knowing that and there's been a lot of different interesting things that have happened this year but my recent psychedelic medicine journeys which again i've mentioned this on the podcast my even though i've done some prof extraordinarily profound ayahuasca journeys with el dragon got a new documentary about el dragon cool. that's out now on youtube if anybody's interested um but the most profound journeys have been the combination of ketamine and cannabis and it brings me to a state where I'm able to explore things with great profundity that sometimes appear unbidden and sometimes I can actually navigate. I have yeah. an ability to steer a little bit. But for whatever reason, this has come unbidden where it's really asking me to, and I quoted Ramdas saying, you have to love everything, not every being, but everything. And also the embracing of the entirety of our polarity all the way from Yeshua to Satan, the whole thing. Yeah. And seeing that as self and learning to actually go through the portal 
of seeing all these things that we have hate towards disgust. Disgust was like a really interesting portal that the medicine journey brought me through. It was like, you have to see beyond your disgust if you're going to learn to love everything. Because the moment you have disgust, that flinch of like, oh, gross. Yeah. You've denied the God in that thing. Right. Right. So it was like <laughs> for two hours, it was showing me the most horrifically disgusting things that you could possibly imagine, like the most revolting. So it was just one aspect of the hell realm, but it was the disgust realm. Cool. And it would blow, I mean, a couple of times I just had to crack up laughing because I was like, this this is ingenious level disgust. Like yeah. this is so horrendous. And I was like, and then it, of course it's a little scary. Like when is this going to end? Is this the way all my journeys are going to be from now on? Sure. I fucking found my way to this hell realm. Yeah. And you know, abandon hope all ye who enter. Here I yeah. am, here forever. Yeah. But on, th on the other side of it, I could feel that it just changed the way I look at the world in like a, in a different way and changed the way I look at little things. And I'll admit, and this is also embarrassing, like I'm disgusted by a lot of little things, things having to do like, <laughs> this is particularly embarrassing, like how I eat a chicken wing is embarrassing because wow. really I just want like the white meat and like a little bit of the skin, but not the gristle and not like the, not the part of the bones uh. and not the part, like I don't eat it like a, like I think a man should eat a chicken wing, you know? I'm eating it like just a, just a little bit of the chicken and a little bit of the sauce, you know? But why? It's because there's this little modicum of disgust at the very animalistic sinews and tendons and things that, and he's even like fats on meats and the, and the gristle of different yeah. things. Like, ew. But it was showing me so much more extreme through you know, that. You have to take Jordan Peterson's seminar on eating chicken wings like a man. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking do. Well, this helps. This is what my journey was about. It was basically like get over this petty little disgust right. and like get into being able to embrace life truly erotically, which is an embrace of all the shit and piss and blood and gristle and tendons and all of the different aspects of life and death itself. And if you have that disgust impulse, keep looking at it until you can peer through it and see the other side and also recognize it just like a fear impulse. Sometimes it's good to run. Sometimes food is bad and it's spoiled and you don't want to eat it. And sometimes that ass has actual shit in it and you don't want to eat that ass either. Well, you, you know, know what I mean? You, yeah, I, 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 on every level. <laughs> now, the, uh, may I play devil's advocate? Please. Okay, here's something fun to think about. Um, the, I, like, okay, so there's some fundamental experience. Everyone's having it. You're having it right now, just a fundamental basic experience. And then you tell a story about it. So this is like, uh, um, there's a lot of different examples of this, but um, you look in the mirror, if you're me, and you're like, God damn, I need to fucking start running. What's going on here? Look at that. Oh, Jesus, those love handles are not getting better. Why? How is that even possible? What's going on with my tits? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you look at it, and you're like, or you might just think, I'm getting old. Look at those wrinkles. You know what I mean? Now, what really happened is you looked in the mirror and you saw your body and there's wrinkles, mm. asymmetrical love handles and all this stuff. And that's it. That's what happened. And then you started telling a story about yep. it. Now, the story is where we get lost. And in the story, it never ends. The story, it like ends, it leads to another story and another story and another story and another story. But it's not the thing itself. The thing itself is all it is. Mm -hmm. Now, this thing you're talking about, revulsion, aversion, whatever you want to call it, what if 
no story. Yeah. What if it's just you feel revulsion? That's it. And then you, you're going to feel something else. And mm. then you're going to feel something else and something else. So instead of trying to escape the repulsion, change the repulsion, up-level the revulsion, shift it into some other thing, and all the guilt that goes along with that, a sense of imperfection. What's wrong with me that I should be revolted by the mm. way I ate a chicken wing? I've got to learn to eat chicken wings differently <laughs> or whatever. Just experience the purity of that thing on its own. No story, no story. This is just what it is now. Now, to me, if we're really gonna talk about the spectrum of reality, the, and, and how all that is must be good, or if not good, the truth. It must be the truth. Whatever's happening is the truth. And if you're someone who thinks the truth isn't good, you're in fucking trouble, man. No doubt. Because that means you want to live in a world of Distortion. lies. Yeah, yeah. You know? So um, uh, uh, the truth must be good. And then the, the, re the revision that we try to do to ourselves that's where we get into trouble. And that's very frustrating for people because I think the most difficult thing for a person to accept and the most like infuriating thing is actually you're fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it, the, the idea is include and, and transcend, right? So include and fully accept your feelings of repulsion, disgust, hate. You can't yeah. bypass it. It's not right. bypass and transcend. It's include and transcend. So include all of those feelings, acknowledge them, hello, welcome them at the door. And this is old wisdom that we're yep. parroting for many people. You welcome these things at the door and say, oh, hello, there you are. Disgust, anger, repulsion, shame, guilt, whatever that thing is. And then you apply an even higher purview or a different purview of a different type of story, a story where you have a different perspective, and then you transcend that feeling into something else. So I think that's kind of what I'm talking about. But the first part was the inclusion of and the acknowledgement of my disgust impulse and then the transcension of that, which was, oh, that is just the thing. And my response to it is not actually the objective truth. It's just my story sure. about tendons and ligaments and feces and all of this yeah. is that it's somehow not what it is. So it's, it's, I think, not mutually exclusive. It's both. It's exactly what you're saying. And it's also there's also a place to see things from a different perspective, which really qualitatively makes my life better. You know, because ultimately the less disgust impulse that I have unnecessarily, or the less fear impulse, right. or the less anger impulse, the happier I'm going to be. The more I can engage with life in an erotic, erotic way. I also had the same thing happen with. I like, I wash my hands all the fucking time. I got this. I don't know where I fucking picked this up. I used to get sick a lot when I was in my 20s and I thought it had to do with like hand cleanliness or something like that. Yeah. But it's always stopping me from just if someone has like a bowl of nuts that I would really like or like a piece of fruit that they pulled out of a tangerine and I really want to eat it. Right. But I haven't washed my hands or they haven't washed their yeah. hands. I won't eat it. So that's preventing me from engaging with life erotically and just living in a state where it's like, it's okay, I trust my hands, I trust this. So then, in the again, a medicine journey, it was like, you have a choice. You either can live like an erotic mystic or a neurotic mystic, you know, like one or the other. You're either gonna be erotically living or neurotically living. Hey, don't bash us neurotic <laughs> fucking mystics, well, me okay? Too, me too. Here's what you need to do. I, I've got the, <laughs> I got the prescription for you, Aubrey. Okay. 
you need to eat a chicken wing out of somebody's ass. <laughs> <laughs> Listen. The, this is the answer. It depends on the ass. It depends on the chicken no, wing. But I, <laughs> I will pick the wing and the ass. <laughs> if we can get Rogan to announce it Fear Factor style, I'm in. That's my. Those are my conditions. Okay, I'm, I'm in. Deal. If we do this, deal. You pick the ass and the chicken wing. Yeah. Rogan announces it Fear Factor style. I'm in. Sounds like a song. <laughs> I'll pick the ass. You pick the chicken wing. We're both gonna be sick. I mean, I'll kind of be in it together with the person whose chicken wing is in their ass. If it's a spicy one, though. Because a spicy chicken wing in the ass, that's... That's not cool. <laughs> well, they would just be on my team. They would want me to eat that chicken wing out of their ass. No, they're going to be And lick pissed. it clean. That's like, yeah, okay. I just feel like, number one, I don't think you're going to be able to lick hot sauce off a person's ass so that it stops <laughs> burning. Because if that worked, I'm sure, like, they would have already... It would be a thing. Like, I don't think it's going to work. Like, I think you're both going to just be in, just miserable. It could be like an episode of Hot Ones. You know, we could be asking It's the new questions. Hot Ones. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's the new Hot Ones. It's like, and also what you do, so no one knows. You don't, like, we don't know the... We don't know anything other than it's an ass. So it's like, you need, like, you could even... Like a glory hole ass? Yeah, it's a glory hole for asses. And it just, the ass emerges, chicken wing goes in, you eat ass and wing... And then we talk about your childhood. <laughs> you, you, <laughs> you talk about you know, the movies funny, you're working it's on. Just, let's say it's just for this contest. Like, of course, I'm thinking like, well, it's got to be a, it's got to be a hot girl's ass, right? Like, it's got to be, you know, that's like, that's the thing. But then actually, if you're just doing this, why, why does the homophobia go so deep? That it really matters what type of ass I'm the eating. The gender of the ass. The gender of the ass. The story of the ass. <laughs> you want the story. You I want do to know want the, the story. story of the ass. You want to know the ass's personality. <laughs> what languages does gender, the ass speak? Yeah. You know, you can't just deal with just a pure ass. You've got to know everything about it. It's yeah. True. You know, look, I don't know the answer to these questions, <laughs> but I would say, like, you know, to get back to what you're talking about, uh, yeah, like. When you find yourself suffering because of some habit, definitely it would I think the idea of like I'm just gonna have this habit and because this is who I am and this is perfection. No, like you can change your habits. It, it you can you should it, you'll be much happier and probably the people around you will be much happier. And, and I think sometimes with spirituality, you can like mistake laziness for like spiritual achievement or something right, like that. Right. It's a real, like, it's a, what do they call it? Spiritual bypass or mm -hmm. whatever, you know? But the also experimenting with just as you are, germ phobia and all, and then that's, the, that's how the universe is right now, and that's just what's going on. Something about that is kind of amazing because you hit this place of truth. It's like, no, this is what I am. Mm -hmm. This is it. Not to say I'll be this forever, but now... This is where I'm at. I think it's a prerequisite for transcension. It, like you have to be to that state of radical acceptance yeah. to actually have any any leverage to transcend it anyways. Otherwise, that which you resist persists. That thing that you're pushing away is going to just continue to haunt you until you fully embraced, accepted it. It's the basis for any type of exposure and response therapy, really? right? which is how you 
get about conquering any type of phobia. You have a fear of spiders, exposure and response therapy. Look at, look at photos of spiders. Go to a terrarium where there's a tarantula until you're comfortable with that. And yeah. then eventually put the tarantula on your hand. And all of that exposure and the integration of that exposure gets you beyond your fear. Right. But you have to like embrace that it is, get comfortable with it, sit in it, marinate yeah. in it, know that it's yourself, trust yourself. It's also part of the you know 12 step program which has its own problems but it's the acknowledgement okay I'm an alcoholic and now right. here's my here's the change that I'm going to apply to that. Yep. And so it's there is this important part that you're you keep harping on which I think is super important to make people avoid the slippery slope of bypassing and also judging themselves for what right. they are which that judgment will create shame and then the shame yeah. will just put the thing in the closet and that monster in the closet will have you by the balls. A house divided upon itself cannot stand. Yes, indeed. And so, yeah, this, like you know, this is Pima Chodron has this great book called The Wisdom of No Escape, and it starts off by you know saying like, you know, people start meditating because they want to improve, get better, whatever. There's some like ch transformation they're seeking, and she's like, that's starting off your meditation practice with an aggression against yourself mm -hmm. now it's like you're 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 it's like you're trying to do like suicide through meditation or something like right. that or you're right in in uh and in, uh, one of the words for meditation is gom g-h-o-m which means essentially getting to know yourself familiarity with oneself not changing oneself but here's what you are he you know i was just talking to david yesterday and we were talking about like you know uh, mindfulness and the idea of your body, like my, the awareness of your body, awareness of like, uh, what is your, what do your feet feel like right now? What do your knees feel like right now? What is your, what do your arms feel like? What's mm -hmm. going on in your body? A lot of people do not scan their bodies. They, like, yeah. they don't feel like what's going on in there, but just letting that be and seeing what happens, what happens if for a second, you know, like that story about how in World War II on Christmas Eve, they just stopped fighting. Mm -hmm. They came out of the bunkers. They like like drank whiskey together. Played soccer. Played soccer. It's like you can actually do that with yourself. Do you know Do you know that the second part of that story that I didn't know is that after that experience, the commanders had to threaten to shoot their own troops to get them to fight each other again. Yeah. They were like, fuck this. Like we're done fighting. And they actually had to threaten to kill based That's on mutiny or whatever. So fucked up. Right? So they were like, I don't want to kill fucking Franz over there yeah. with the great, you know, who can who can bend it into the top right corner like a legend. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to shoot Franz. That was beautiful. The commanders are like, shit, peace is broken out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like, uh, we have a problem here accidentally. We got a peace thing happening. <laughs> Fuck. No, we're at war. You can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's really bad news for a lot of people when peace breaks out. It's like, you know, you're going to go broke. Yeah. Fuck peace again. What are we going to do? Yeah. Yeah, it's a sad state. Yeah. Uh, let's shift gears a second okay. here. Deep fakes. I think this might become a problem. And I don't know how, I'm, I'm guessing you're kind of like, have your finger on the pulse of it a little bit. A little it feels bit. like they're starting to come out, like deep audio fakes. Yeah, are already pretty damn good. You have enough like audio content, so for us podcasters, it's going to be real easy to like take our voice, yep. match the voice, match the inflection, and get us to say whatever the fuck you want. Right, and it's going to be almost indistinguishable 
if not indistinguishable. I Inevitably think. indistinguishable at some point. Right. And then, you know, with video technology, obviously we've seen it in the movies, et cetera, but it's starting to get better and more accessible. We're going to have deep fake videos that match our voice with us doing shit on video. Oh, yep. This is going to be chaos. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited. What do you think about it? Well, you know, have you fucked around with the text to art? Uh, if you if you fucked around with the text to art like Dolly two or mm -mm. Mid Journey or any of that stuff, so um, yeah, you can basically just like tell this like neural network like, hey, I want to like, can you do uh, just describe anything like? Uh, uh, unfortunately, it does censor sex stuff right now, but like theoretically, if the censor was off, you could be like, I want to see. Um, can you draw, you don't even have to say, can you draw, uh, you just type in like um, Godzilla eating a chicken wing out of Bigfoot's ass. And within a minute, it won't just like, and you can also say in the style of Monet. So like in a minute, less than a minute, it will do four like pictures depicting what you said Whoa. in the style of these famous artists. And it does it so fast. There's a lot of controversy surrounding it because it's the neural network seems to be like recombining images from um, like a Google image search or something, but doing it in this clever way, like a kind of collage that uh -huh. creates its own work of art. And people are like, isn't that kind of like theft? Like, isn't you're just Some taking other art. Yeah. Yeah. But regardless... It does it, and it does it instantly. And so the the processing power isn't there yet for it to animate it. So to, to get to the point where someone could say, um, uh, generate a, a podcast between Aubrey Marcus and Godzilla, and he's asking him, what's it like to eat a chicken wing out of Bigfoot's ass? <laughs> and, and we're not there yet, but it's coming. It's yeah. coming. That yeah. will happen. It's inevitably going to happen. It's going to, like, transform the way – like, right now – you want to watch a movie, you go on Amazon and you look for a movie that's going to scratch the itch. Like maybe you want a drama, whatever. Maybe you're like wanting to, you know, to, some cool thing to watch with your partner, whatever. And you, you, you fight over it or it sucks. But theoretically, because it doesn't exist yet, it's all based on processing speed. And we do know that there is a way to like predict pro how processing speed how computers are just getting faster and yeah, faster they're going quantum yes so eventually it's going to be like you know hey i want to i want to see a movie i want to see a movie with you know about like bigfoot and godzilla it's like call me by your name meets the shining you know but make it like alfred hitchcock directed it i want some suspense and boom that's the movie it's going to make now i we're not there yet again it's processing mm -hmm. speed but so the deep fake thing is the very tip of the iceberg that's getting us closer to um uh what mckenna predicted is like pre-singularity which is the amount of time between what you want and its existence in the universe is collapsing. So mm. the, the, right now you want to like make a movie with Godzilla and Bigfoot, man, that's a big budget movie. Probably yeah, it's going to take a million dollars. Yeah. Going to take a few years, not to mention all the licensing and shit, but like, boom, all of a sudden it's there. It's just there. Now you have it. So this is going to get 
spectacularly bizarre when you've lost a parent and you oh, ask man. the thing to put you in a VR room with your mom and it does a personality scan of your mom from her like Google like all the data they collected on Google or in Facebook or whatever. And suddenly you're hanging out with your mom who is being animated by like whatever the next iteration of Lambda is that Google is working on the sentient AI. And now it's not, it's not like a chat bot that's stuttering and like, oh, good to see you. It's going to be like, I'm so glad you're here. There, I wasn't in my body. This is just channeling my body. You know, this is my personality is infinite. And this is one aspect of who I was. And I'm so glad to see you. So that's coming. And it's going to fuck up the entire grieving process. Also, there's going to be all these like ethical issues about. Uh, so I guess my mom is owned by Mark Zuckerberg now and <laughs> his, his server. You know what I mean? And so, 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 so that is where it's headed. And then if you want to take it one step past that. I'm glad you asked me the question. This is like a nitrous oxide epiphany I had. Like, <sighs> I can't believe I just took a hit of my stupid <laughs> vape after Lucky. saying nitrous oxide epiphany. I'm done. After this, I'm going to India. You'll never see me again. The, the, uh, the, so I real, I had this like realization regarding um, data and uh, the permanence of data. Um, the idea of the possibility, okay, like, you know, right now we've got this incredible telescope, the James Webb telescope. It can't, it's looking out into the universe, doing all kinds of awesome things. It can detect water molecules in the atmosphere of planets so fucking far away, so impossibly far away. And it can tell, oh, there's this much water in the atmosphere. Now, imagine that thing, except it isn't just scanning for water particles. Imagine if it could scan for like organic life. Like just imagine if the thing was turned on mm. our planet mm. and it could peer into the dirt and scan the dirt for bone fragments. And then imagine from those bone fragments, it could... Um, simulate what the creature the bone fragments were attached to was like and based on the vegetative matter and the soil around the bone fragment it could actually simulate the way that thing might walk or hunt or be and then imagine that from these simulations it could actually bring a being to life it could actually bring what its personality might have been like to life and, and I, again I'm, we're talking technology that God God knows how far away it may be. But uh, suddenly, there's this possibility that via whatever this technology might be, we could scan a planet, simulate the beings that lived at various time periods in that planet, resurrect them, use artificial intelligence and this same insane technology that like Mid, Mid Journey and uh, Dali is using to literally create a simulated version of that planet at any given time frame indistinguishable from reality right at that point you have like a weird time machine slash resurrection device that's mm. sort of bringing things back to life with impossible perfect clarity on every level so that they think they're alive you know what i mean mm. so uh, anyway i'm on nitrous oxide when i'm thinking this and then i realize oh 
it probably already did it. Like it's that's probably what's happening right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. We're we are we are like being scanned, but the scan itself is what's giving us our consciousness. This is the mind of God everyone talks about. Right. The, the eye of God, the eye at the top of the pyramid on the right. dollar bill, the all-seeing eye, the resurrective quality in the universe. It's a super intelligence that looks back into time and just the act of looking brings everything back to life that was there. Uh, and anyway, nitrous oxide, it's just, if you take this kind of technology and you um, and, and, and look at where we're already at with it, and then apply the uh, infinite universe theory or whatever, 13.7 billion years old theory to it, then it's probably other technologies have already done it. And if they've already done it, then the odds of us being in the, you know, uh, uh, the first version of reality, or even if that even is a thing, are pretty slim. Well, okay. So there's so many fucking things. I haven't thought about this nearly to the extent that you have. And I'm so glad I asked you this question because it's opening up so many things. One, I also, you remember when Paul Selig, you asked Paul Selig about AI. Yeah. Do you remember when you asked him that question? I do. And he was like, basically the guides came through and they were saying, all of this is underestimating, like AI creating actual sentience. And they were like, all of this is underestimating something that is irreducible, undying, unquantifiable, yeah. and like unreproducible, which is human consciousness yeah. abiding in the divine. So I think there is a, a premise that we can, we can actually create genuine sentience that I'm not sure I agree with, and I tend to veer towards Paul Selig, but... That remains to be seen. Certainly by the algorithm, it looks like we're heading towards that thing, but I still have my doubts. So I just want to put that caveat out there as a potential, okay. like, you know, devil's advocate of there may be something that we're missing that we don't see that's involved yeah. in sentience that yeah. is irreducible, that can't be created in the binary way that we're using computing now or even in the quantum way. Okay. That said, opening up some of these other fucking wormholes is fucking crazy because that would mean that. If you wanted to have a kind of replication of some dialogue, oh, fucking A. First of all, your family, of course, for the sentimentality of it, but also take someone. You mentioned, you referenced Jordan Peterson. He is somebody that so many people look up to for advice. Like, And, and imagine if he was your dad or your uncle or somebody like that. And you could talk to him and ask him any question. Well, if they fed in every podcast he's ever done, every speech he's yeah. ever done, every lecture he's ever done, you could have your own Jordan Peterson yeah. fucking bot yeah. that you could just talk to about anything and everything in life. Or name your person. Could be Guru Dev or it could be yeah. fucking Rogan or you or me or whoever, whoever right. the fuck you want. Yeah. And then you could just have that interaction with them and it be... I mean, it wouldn't be actually them, but it would be, it would look and feel. And I mean, people are going to be falling in love with these things. They're going to be, yeah. it's going to change the whole, it's going to change the whole world. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it is. And, 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 and all, you know, the, to address that idea of like the soul particulate or, or whatever that may be that comes up a lot when it, with AI mm -hmm. and sentience or whatever, it's like, yeah, you can't make the wind, but you can make a sail that catches the wind. Right. And if there is one mind or consciousness is not a byproduct of yeah. human neurology, then you theoretically could 
create like some uh, a way to catch that sort of that's a good way to look at universal it. consciousness that's so that cool. it embodies an AI or comes into it. You just think AI. of that. That was kind of pretty brilliant. I thought about it a long time ago <laughs> when I was like kicking around the idea of like, oh yeah, maybe the way we think the reason like people are having such a difficult time. Um, uh, believing that AI can be sentient is because of this sort of like uh, the notion of the embodied soul, a, a kind of like, uh, and you know, like it's a fun to like kick around the idea of like, well, what is a soul and how does that even work? Or is it a quantum particle? Like where does a soul reside and how does it- Everywhere and nowhere. Shift from, yeah, right. It's probably not in the body. If it's not in the body, then it's like a wind or something or some kind yeah. of uh, um, energy or I don't know, like some, 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 something that is where it's, being channeled through our nervous systems in a way that it gives the impression that it exists uniquely in each person. Well, I think that is the body, actually. That is the unique prism. And that's why I think we won't be able to adequately have a mind that really, really works. I mean, I think we can use this kind of deep fakes technology, like you said, to represent uh, kind of what a mind could be, but to have an actual mind that res really resembles a person and can actually think, you know, not derivatively from something else that has yeah. been thought from someone with a body. Like you will need a body because so much of our thoughts are generated from our body. Like the intelligence of our microorganisms and our skin and our flesh. And as you talked about with your heart example, right? The stored memories and accumulation of interaction with the environment. So I think actually the development of an Android that it can actually sense to a similar degree and feel to a similar degree, at least at least pleasure and pain in the body is going to be necessary to really perfect this mind thing. So I yeah. think we would need full robe, like full Westworld type of being. Right. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, that's going to get, that's, I mean, again, like that's where we're running into the other aspect of this damn technology is it's going to cause us to sort of redefine our conceptualization of space, spatiality, reality itself. So that the, again, we, we are obvious, we're human beings. Like we, when we want to, like I, uh, the Prabhupada, the founder of the Hare Krishnas used to roast astronauts because he's, he thought it was so funny that, that, you know, people thought it was like advanced to put their bodies into a can and throw that thing out into space to try to get the body from point A to point B because <laughs> you thought that was funny because from that perspective, the you're not your body. It's just a, a thing that your soul is hanging out in. And like his point was like, they figured out a long time ago how to like uh, astrally project and go to other planets and go to the God realms and do all this stuff. And the whole like, materialist idea of like moving your body around like that is insane mm -hmm. and i think with virtual reality and um increasingly uh non-invasive ways of stimulating the brain to produce uh various sensations uh we're gonna run into oh, a yeah we're gonna get real good at that transcranial direct stimulation and yeah you know that and then the the transhumanist idea uh, is going to start becoming like a, an, a something that isn't just in sci-fi books and now it's it's like it's going to cause us to have to redefine a lot of things about what it means to be human and 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 we will right now with like the um 
Lambda at Google and like people like freaking out over that and saying, no, it can't be a person. No, it can't be sentient. No, it can't have a soul. All that stuff I think wrapped up in that is um, uh, all of us want to be special. We want you, we want, we don't want, we want this idea of like, well, I've got a soul. Oh, like mm. every fucking comedian, you know, like is looking at AI and they're like, it'll never be funny. It can't learn to tell mm. jokes. Oh, fuck you. It's going to be funny. It's going to be a million times funnier than all of us. And it's like, and we're going to think you think so. I, I sure as fuck hope so. I'm sick of writing jokes. The idea that I could like get an AI to like blast out like seven hours of like perfect comedy. It's a dream come true. What I don't like is that AI deep faking me and like making its own YouTube channel where people are like, you know, Duncan, you're okay. But your fucking AI is hilarious. <laughs> like, we really like that guy. He's great. That's going to suck. But yeah, man, I, I think that um, uh, the, the, what's coming is so incredibly confusing because it's going to all of the things that we think of as fundamental to, to human life the death process. Once someone's dead, they're dead forever. All of these things that are fundamental to us. In the same way, it was fundamental that you couldn't fly. It was fun. The idea that you could like get in a fucking plane, fly around the planet. That was for a long time. That that was an impossibility. It was fundamental to the human experience to walk around. If you yeah. wanted to get a a view of the wherever you're at you had to climb up on a high fucking place and look out the idea of getting in a thing and flying around forget it do you know are you are you keen to this uh stratospheric balloon tech that's come out now no so i'm like i'm an investor in this company called worldview and they basically done over a hundred test flights one of these test flights was actually one of the ones where that Guy jumped out. I think it was uh, oh, Baumgartner jumped okay, out and like hurled from the stratosphere, yeah. one hundred twelve twenty thousand feet. Well, they're making big pods where ten people can go up, all windows all around, helium balloons, stratospheric balloons. So it reaches the level where helium is actually at the density wow. of the stratosphere. But you can see all the way curvature of the Earth, and it's going to take off from sacred sites, and you're going to be able to chill up there, not for thirteen minutes like these rockets are, which is actually in orbit, so it's a little bit higher. We're not in orbit in the stratosphere, but you're going to actually be able to see the Earth juxtaposed to the blackness of space because you're in the stratosphere and just hang out there for like eight hours. Cool. And fucking, you cool. can, and also they're going to have satellite Wi Fi so you could fucking, I don't know, do an Instagram live from the wow. stratosphere. Wow. It's, it's like, two, it's going to be happening in like two years. Wow. That's going to be right? so fun. I know. We're going to send up. Do you want to do the first podcast from the stratosphere? Yes, I do. <laughs> Let's go, I Duncan. Won't. You think my wife's going to let on, me go man. up in a fucking balloon? She like barely lets me drive. She's not going to let me go up in a fucking balloon in the stratosphere. She's like, you have kids. You have children now. You're not going to go up in Aubrey's balloon. <laughs> I promise you she wouldn't let me. I promise you. And she's right. She's right. I can't die. I got to feed my kids when that fucking balloon pops and we go soaring back to earth, which I'm not saying that's going to happen, but- Man, I, I tell you this, though, I'll be part of the GoFundMe to get some flat earthers up 
there. I know that's going to be hilarious. They're going to they're going to get so fucked up. Yeah, it's because everybody's going to be able to see it. It's going to be really cool to see their reaction to it. They're just going to say you've got like a bullshit balloon. They're going to think it's a simulated <laughs> simulated windows that they didn't really go up. Like they, they'll like. I'm gonna get you. I gotta. We gotta do this. I'm gonna get you savvy to the safety. First of all, it's zero pressure on the balloon, so if it pops, it actually just kind of it doesn't pop explode like that. And actually, if you used um, if you used uh, I don't know. There's a compound that's actually lighter than helium, but it's like explosive, so you can't use that one because helium. So if the balloon pops because it's zero pressure, it actually just kind of slowly starts your descent because that's actually how they do the descent anyways. They just open the flaps and then it descends and then they they navigate using the predictable trade winds at different atmospheres so they know how much to let out along the way so it can't really pop. Plus then they got fucking parachutes and shit. It's going to be safe. Okay, I have an idea. Okay. When you come to do my podcast, <laughs> let's let you talk to Aaron on the podcast <laughs> and explain all this and, and see if you can get her to let me go up in the balloon okay. i okay. just want to record if, and the if conversation I, if, <laughs> yeah, all right so if, if you, i get her to agree if you get her to agree to let me go up in that balloon i will go up in that balloon all right so we look we got two conditionals here one if you get rogan to fear factor announce me eating a chicken wing out of someone's ass i'm in and if i can convince your wife to go in the balloon we're in. Have you thought about eating the chicken wing out of the ass in the balloon? Oh, boy. <laughs> now, now see that. Now That's we're a talking. million firsts. That's so many firsts. No one's ever eaten. I, it's, I, bet, I mean, I'm sure people have eaten chicken wings out of ass. Yeah. But no one's eaten a chicken wing out of an ass in a futuristic balloon in the hovering over the earth, the beautiful earth. That would be kind of blasphemous, wouldn't it, though? <laughs> or, like, or it would be like. We're bringing a bit of the surface up to the stars. Or that's what makes the aliens destroy the planet. <laughs> They're like, They're like that's the last straw. <laughs> no. No. This is it. That's it. No. Are you fucking kidding? Because they're all like, oh, look, the monkeys. They're going to see their planet. They're going to love it. They're going to change their perception of who they are in relation. <laughs> and they're like. See the world without borders. Is that <laughs> no. guy eating a fucking chicken wing out of someone's ass? <laughs> You don't you think though that the aliens, the thing they they're the most jealous of, because you see aliens. If you believe that they look like what we think they look like, they're either transdimensional ethereal beings that yeah. actually don't have a form. We just imagine that they have a form, like when we see a therianthrope on DMT, it has a crocodile head and a body. We're like, whoa, look at that being. Yeah. Well, all right. So some aliens are like that, and then the other ones look like actually more like almost like drones that that maybe have implanted consciousness in yeah. them like little bodies that grew but none of them have dicks or balls or pussies or asses How or do anything you know? well i don't know i watch alien autopsies they so. don't show their dicks do they i think they show the whole body and it's, it's full barbie style well i'm pretty sure you think that's a real alien on alien autopsy no, i don't know but i'm a mat well i don't know so if it is then I think the things that aliens are the most jealous about is that they don't get to fuck. I don't want the gray aliens to have dicks or pussies. <laughs> I don't. I do. I don't. I do. That's the last thing you want to see when you've been abducted. Is it like zip? <laughs> You're like, is it zipping its spacesuit off? You're like, well, at least they don't have dicks. And it's got some <laughs> giant, erect alien cock. And, it, you know, it's like, well, you know. Well, that's what makes them all perverted is they don't have actual dicks, so they got to probe you. 
They got to use fucking intergalactic dildos and implant things in you instead of just giving you a little insemination the old-fashioned way. Yeah, you know, again, look, a lot of my friends are gray aliens, (laughs) and they come real hard, all right? They come real hard, Aubrey. They don't need primitive dicks to come. (laughs) No, they have this, like, weird thing right under their belly button flap. It's, like, slimy. Yeah, maybe it's internal. Maybe it... Maybe it bursts through like Wolverine's claws, like it's painful at first, but when the dick comes out, it's just a pleasure rocket. Yeah, that. so you know. Yeah, that's what it is. It like bursts out, they like squeak, and they make this weird, yeah, and then, and then they just come, and they don't stop coming. That's what their spaceships fly on. It's, they're come. That's the fuel. So we they, solved some shit. Yeah, we figured it out today. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's their spaceships run on jizz. And and it's actually kind of brilliant. I mean, if you're talking about one of the strongest forces in the universe, that erotic impulse, I mean. Yeah, because that's what makes the babies. That's what makes fucking babies, makes a lot of things all the way up, all the way down. It's why can't we? It's like it seems of all the fuel source. Like, has anyone tried to like turn jizz into like, like engine fuel? Like all those swimmers just going for it, just put a put a put an egg somewhere just out of reach, like a rabbit and a greyhound. Holy shit! And you just have all the swimmers powering your fucking supersonic spaceship. Surely someone's calculated this, right? Like, surely someone is like, th- th- like, how much energy is going on inside of like a jizz? How in a, like, sh- there's since there's movement, there's energy. Is there a way to harvest that energy? What if you did have a jizz, just even a small device that was jizz powered? So every time you came, like like it could be a flashlight attachment that incredible. like that sends some little device. Even if it was just a little Godzilla that moves, <sighs> you just fill its back with jizz, and then it transfers that energy. And the Godzilla walks, and that's where you can test your seminal vir- like virility. Yeah, is how far the Godzilla walks. Like, oh uh, yeah, you're right. I'm so fertile. I got fucking three yards out of this Godzilla with my. Oh thumb. my god, you would have to like pay super fertile dudes to like jerk off on your roof. <laughs> Like into whatever your solar panels are. Like the power goes out and you're like, ah, I called Jerry. He's very fertile. You got like, remember when like the old days, the, the shitty antennas, you'd have to go and adjust it on the roof. But it's like, oh, fuck, power's out. God damn it. Where's the Viagra? I'm going to go jerk off on the panel. I got it. It's like, that. I, I'm, you know. I'm curious, man. I've never read, I've, you know, obviously we've, we've heard there's a million sperm in any given drop of cum, mm. but the energy of the sperm and the cum, this, has this not been quantified? Like how much energy can, wow. Yeah, I mean, a bu- is like a power plant just waiting to be unleashed. Dude, <laughs> wow. Someone must have thought of this. Nope, this is it. I'm claiming it. Holy shit. Yeah, this is a, what do they call those like trademarks or poor man's patents when you like talk about something first so that yeah. people have to credit if someone makes a little Godzilla that's powered by jizz, like, psh, let's throw me some royalties. And thus began the age of cum. <laughs> From that moment on, after that It was podcast, the age of iron to the age of bronze <laughs> to the age of nuclear power to the age of jizz. To the age of jizz. <laughs> we are in the age of jizz now. The final age. Will be an age of cum. 
Oh, but the, the jizz, stink. the jizz yuga. It's not going to smell good. 12,000 year cycle of it's the jizz yuga. Stinky yuga. <laughs> it's going to smell real it bad. It just smell like a YMCA pool. Oh. oh, that's not a good smell. No. It's like, well, I guess it's like when you're driving past like a, a slaughterhouse or when you're driving past like a, a, a freshly fertilized field and you catch that waft it's gonna just be like that where you're like fuck man we're driving by a jizz plant <laughs> you know what i actually heard from a buddy is apparently in ayurvedic practice you for a while during a fast you drink your urine and you eat your jizz and i've like i was like whoa like i've heard during of, the fast i've heard of drinking your urine obviously the yoda machita like other people have done this yeah i've heard of that believes that but like I've never heard of it, and I was like, and you and you did this, and he's like, yep, it was interesting, it was potent. I was like, whoa, whoa, that's like that's fucking commitment there. That's commitment. I don't think I've ever tasted my jizz. You haven't? Oh no, not just accidentally. I don't, I, I don't think so. Like well, like a like a stray shot, nope. And I like, I mean, maybe like a little remnant on not the, a on spray the shot. I mean, I don't know how fucking. <laughs> far your jizz flies but my <laughs> jizz is not it's not that kind of jizz you maybe you have some kind of like mount saint <laughs> no, Helens really style don't. jizz uh -huh. my jizz is more like an ooze of oil. it's not blast you know the thing i don't understand is have you ever um, have you watched porn and seen the semenax commercial that comes on yeah that increases your jizz they blast that thing how popular is that why how, how much jizz do you want right like, like what like what are you really looking a for a lot <laughs> <laughs> you just do even though you recognize like why or what or do you really want to do that like what do you want like but some you know some part of anybody i mean anyone if you haven't thought like man i wish i could just like blast like a shotgun spray like, like spider-man everywhere <laughs> that, like, then you never watch porn like you could catch a bird in mid-flight and just <laughs> stuck, got stuck to the wall. You, yeah, it would, you know, you'd, have to, you'd have to use Dove body wash to get all the jizz out so it could fly again. That's like a, the age like of, an oil that's spill. That's one of the problems of the age of jizz is there's jizz spills. The ships bringing in jizz from overseas, just like oh fuck, jizz everywhere. Like women just be getting pregnant from just swimming around it. Like oh fuck, this sucks. Well, you know, man. Um, yeah, I think. Like you've never like, you've never like, like you come on your partner uh -huh. and then maybe you go down on them again or you're like kissing their stomach and you realize, oh shit, I just kissed my own jizz. I mean, maybe like a little bit of like pre-cum or something like that, but nothing that was like memorable where I was like, oh, there's jizz. Like there, I mean, on the contrary, I've been, I've eaten ass and tasted shit. You know, it's, it's unpleasant, but it's, uh, that's happened actually in real life. I believe you, Aubrey. Yeah. I, you don't have to like, I'm, I'm, you know, I believe you. But I don't think I've ever tasted jizz. Well. Well, there's things to explore in this wide world in the age of I jizz. I happen to have some jizz here for you. It's from, <laughs> you know, I I don't know. the Like, yeah, it's not like something that like, I don't know. I, I'm I'm pretty sure though, for sure, I would have to say. Look, I'll tell you, you want to hear a really gross story? Yeah, let's go. I'm sorry, internet. This is a gross story. Um, I'm not going to tell the story. It's so gross. <laughs> <laughs> but it involved, probably involves you eating jizz on accident. Kind yeah, of. yeah. 
Yes, it does. And I can remember like, you know, here's the problem. Like a long time ago, someone I was dating, we weren't monogamous. Um, so I think we were having sex that afternoon. Somebody else's jizz. I'm, I know I didn't. Oh, you know, boy. you know where you come. Oh boy. You know what I mean? You yeah. you know, you yeah, know. For sure. And so yeah, I do think Oh boy. that I got some second inches. Oh boy. Yeah. So there you go. That's deep. You know the thing It happens. <laughs> <laughs> There's a thing about it. I think that's it's obviously like a lot of people like the the cum shot in a in a porn or something like that and they get excited about this whole like cream pie existence of that fetish that fetish and and like where the cum goes and yeah i don't know it's never been a thing for me it's like the moment that i come is the moment like in that in that period where i can actually see my cum it's probably the least turned on i ever am in life yeah like my horniness meter of all time and all places and all things is the lowest yeah at that moment so i associate that moment with being the least turned on. So none of these jizz fantasies makes sense. Makes fucking any sense to me. Cause I'm like, this is like, I might as well be reading fucking Wall Street Journal or something. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I, I that's I've I've had the same thinking when it comes to that particular fetish. Cause it's like, so you came. <laughs> yeah. And now you want to eat your cum from wherever, but you came. Uh-huh. So like I I could see maybe like getting so horny. And so like perving out and being like, I want to eat my own cum. And you're in, but then you come and you're like, why the fuck oh, would yeah, I ever for eat sure. my own cum? It's a great idea yeah, right before you come. And then you're like, it's you like, know, I'm gonna I, come, I'm gonna come. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We'll talk about it. You know, my wife really likes the idea of me coming inside her, but I don't ever do it because we're not trying to have a baby yet. Yeah. But you know, I'll talk about it all the time and it'll be like part of our oh yeah, I'm gonna come right. I never do. But like the thought of it gets her excited. I think she has this deeply ingrained reproductive fantasy about like this is the yeah. this is the thing the erotic thing that'll make us a baby so we play with that but then never do it but the actual idea of when the actual come comes is just like okay whatever. right doesn't matter no it's yeah it's a singularity <laughs> man it's like it, 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 but you i don't know maybe some people they've just figured out a way to extend whatever that is past the initial come I mean, maybe these are like Taoist masters or something like that. You know, they've who the fuck knows? I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, I know exactly what you mean. It's like right after you come, you're just like shit, man. I, I like you remember all the stuff you got to do. You're like, what the what? Why was I? Wow, why did I? Wow, that. <laughs> what did I just do? Uh, by the way, might I just say, when you y'all do start to when you do want to make a baby, uh-huh. that sex is the most incredible sex ever the sex where you're uh, like yeah opening up the portal yeah for a being to come into the universe wow did you have a moment where you were like oh this was a good one i think this was it like like where you just had some experience that just felt different because obviously you tried you know you're trying you try many times i'll tell you about it off podcast <laughs> <laughs> all right i'll take that yeah i have i have an interesting thing for you there was a study done do you know the two things that people say when they're orgasming? There's two things that are far and away above everything else. No. They say, oh, God, or they say their partner's name. Wow. And so this was translated, you know, by, again, by my teacher who's 
looking into this as in that moment, there's this contact, there's this contact with that feeling. They call it the little death. There's this contact where there's such a flood of pleasure. It's almost this unicity moment where there's nothing else that exists in your mind, in your body, in your thoughts, except for the pleasure that's overwhelming you, that's creating the orgasm. They call it the, uh, the point where the Ormugzam consciousness, the point where actually you reach a place where you can no longer hold the light. And then that's when the orgasm comes. Like all the light fills your body. Light as pleasure on energy wow. fills your body and you can no longer hold it and you release it. It's like the point of all light that you cannot contain. And so people say, oh God, or they say their partner's name, which in the in the lineage, in this understanding is actually the same thing. It's like you're saying like, oh, that's oh cool. God, or here you are as the portal so to cool. God. But we have this kind of intuitive sense, the idea behind this being that we have this intuitive sense that it actually is a portal to the divine. And I deeply believe that. And I think that's where a lot of this reawakening of sex magic and tantric, you know, understanding is coming from is because we know that through the sexual portal, when we do it with that consciousness, or even sometimes when we don't, we're reaching a state of transcendence of self. Yeah. Just for a moment. Yeah. 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 It's, I, I agree. I mean, this is, uh, again, like a spoiler, but this is how all human life mm-hmm. ends up on the planet. Like the reason you're walking around is because somebody decided not to eat yeah, their jizz. And that, that God spark, that God spark moment of orgasm is also what creates it. And also the likelihood of fertilization goes up dramatically when the woman has an orgasm as well. So that's been clinically studied. Women can have orgasms? <laughs> <laughs> what? Are you sure about that? Every Spoiler all the other alert. stuff. Spoiler. A lot of the ayahuasca <laughs> stuff I'm totally buying, but this sounds, you know, uh, one toke over the line, Aubrey. Did you, see the, did you see the movie The Last Duel? It's with uh, Matt Damon and- No, uh, I haven't seen it. It's it's cool. It's actually like a true story, but they actually show, they share it from different perspectives and- and it's it's interesting because the French were kind of the some of the earlier ones, besides the old traditions like the Kama Sutra traditions and the Taoist sex traditions. I mean, there's some deep lineages of the pleasure of man and woman both and, and creating that union portal. Yeah. But then the French kind of were like onto it a little bit earlier. They call it le petit mort, the little death. Yes. And they like kind of understood it. But it was just interesting because they go into that into that idea like they couldn't get pregnant and then they start talking about it like there's this old wives tale wisdom that i think is accurate but the but these brutes that are knights that are just like savages just killing people with pointy things uh, which of course i've i've been obsessed with since i was a kid yeah. this idea yeah but uh but yeah this this idea of the female pleasure and orgasm was like known and then lost and then renown now again interesting yeah, it's, it's kind of shitty for the period in the middle for all the women who were like men were just like oh fuck it it feels like you could do some kind of study on birth rates and from that extrapolate how many women are coming in any given society <laughs> if you know what i mean if yeah, there sure. is some correlation between a woman having an orgasm and fertility 
then it seems like you could go and just look and and really test that stuff. Like, see, like, oh shit. I'm pretty sure the studies Birth exist. Rates if are the dropping. studies do exist, we'll put them in the show notes. Yeah, I'm it could, sure it could be really interesting to do that to like see like in places that are having like population decline. Is there like is that because they're like they don't have they're not they're selfish assholes. They're just not they're not good. They're mm. just not letting they're they're not helping their women come. Interesting. <laughs> Look, man, I've got two fucking kids. Okay, no problem over here. <laughs> You're not I mean, shooting blanks. No, but you know this is the this is the other uh, interesting thing, which is like the the idea of the bardo in between incarnations have i told you this this concept of like you when you die Mm -hmm. you go through this liminal realm where your karma and your projections which is your karma appear around you and from that experience it kind of navigates you into your next birth Mm. now apparently this is like really weird and i might have read it wrong so i'm sorry if, if this is not the case but apparently the thing you see before going into the womb is your parents fucking. You don't just see your parents fucking. Apparently, you see all of these people fucking. Weirdly, it's like when you are like scrolling through porn, I mm. guess. Like that's a digital version of like, what do I want to look at? Except you're seeing this like infinite array of mm. people having sex. And this is where it gets like kind of Freudian and weird. You get turned on the most by one of them. Ooh, I like it. And it's you, like the allurement itself. The erotic allurement in, is. You want to join. Yeah. And those are your parents. So if if like the reason that your parents are your parents is because you thought the way they were fucking was hot and you were sexually drawn to that. And then, yeah, isn't that wild? That's and, wild. And, and so, yeah, because, you know, it's not just that the sexual impulse uh keeps human life on the planet but it's the beacon that draws souls back in here like it it's like it works both ways i mean there's that idea that you choose your parents right like this has been a, it's a common idea yeah. in many different you know kind of new thought circles particularly and old traditional thought circles that the choice of your parents is an issue but yeah if the choice point is actually a vignette of your parents having sex you could get a lot of information out of that yeah like a lot of information For and sure. that could really draw you in so that means that if you're trying to have kids it's not just that you're having sex from the materialist reductionist standpoint of getting sperm in contact with the ovum you're actually trying to allure trying to draw in the soul that will be most attracted to this holistic representation of eros at its in its manifestation you're surrounded by a swarm of pre-baby souls watching you fuck (laughs) and (laughs) and like some of them are like oh no way that's disgusting and some of them are one of them is like oh wow that's pretty hot (laughs) And then that's where the baby comes from. Now, I think this is probably a pretty reductive way of looking at it. I mean, it it could just be – I have a lot of theories on it. That actually isn't one of them. I just think it's a fun thought. It's it's interesting, you know. But I think, like, you know, anytime you become a parent or even are thinking about becoming a parent, 
I think that's the more important point, that thinking about becoming a parent, you know, it goes back to where do thoughts come from? Yeah. We like to imagine that, well, I think it's time. Sometimes I wonder if we're not being kind of guided by totally. these beings so that, you know, if you think about it in terms of like, a, I don't know, like a little window opens up for a second, a, a, a moment opens up where it's got to be just the right time. You know, they have to be and they have to have dropped their old body. If you believe in reincarnation or that version mm -hmm. of things, be in the Bardo or whatever that place is. And then this right moment has to open up, not just a moment like, for them, but like, you know, ovulation and all the things that go into that. And so, you know, it has to be this perfect time. And so what might seem spontaneous to you or might seem even accidental or something, it might not be at all. It might just be that this was like time for this being to show up in the material universe. Mm. And um, I don't know, it's, a rom it's like kind of a romantic, silly idea, but when you have kids and you experience the birth experience and you experience like being around a, a soul before it becomes linguistic and you know starts talking you definitely will think oh there's things going on in the world that are much bigger than me like whatever this clock oh, yeah. tower is there's invisible gears turning that are far outside of my control it's so difficult to understand too i, I talked to I've had a lot of conversations with a, with a guy named Matthias De Stefano. Do you ever hear of a, hear this guy? He's, he, his claim is that he remembers his past lives. Okay. And I'm super skeptical of all of this, but yeah, yeah. I deeply trust him. Super humble, super clear-minded. So much of his maps of the, of the dimensional realities and everything he says lines up and feels true to me when I hear it. Sure. And also he lived in in his memory he lived as a woman in the civilization of chem which was like post diluvian so after the flood of of atlantis it was one of the offshoots near egypt where a lot of the settlers went who survived yeah. that and so they still spoke atlantean and he remembers the songs and the lullabies that he sung to his daughter oh. and when he starts singing those i just like I can't help but well up with tears and it just he's singing in Atlantean and it's just fucking mind blowing. So I believe him. And of course, again, I take everything with a bit of skepticism. Sure. And he also says, look, even when I remember, it's still my own perspective. It's not the absolute truth. Right. It's just a memory of it. But what he says is that in the place beyond the body, you're actually stepping into a place beyond time as we know it. So we're in the bardo for both an infinite amount of time and no time at all. Right. So it's like you're there forever and you're there reincarnated in an instant. Right. But that's totally a mind fuck to think about because we can't escape thinking in terms of story and time. That's right. the way our whole consciousness is aligned. Right. So it's like really kind of a difficult to even embrace how something could be eternally in the bardo and also instantly reincarnated right and how we like rectify that you know what i think i can wrap my head around it it's like you know you're driving around you're in this world and then all of a sudden you're lost in your thoughts thinking about yeah. something completely different than whatever's happening around you and then you're instantly back here and you're like what the f where the fuck was i <laughs> 
it's probably like this. This is probably like in the daydream of infinity or something. We're just sort mm -hmm. of like when you have a daydream and whatever that place is, the daydream is this. And, you know, it's here because we're in time. It seems so long. But when you blink out of it and you're back there, yeah. you're like, oh, wow, that was wow. What a wild daydream that was. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's something like that. You know, it just it just happens quick. Yep. There, it would be quick because it's outside of time. That that quantum reality, I, I feel like I've the time that I actually went to where I feel like that was was actually sober, oddly enough. And it was interesting. It was at Burning Man. It was my sober day because everybody who goes to Burning Man knows like there's got to be a day where you just right. give your fucking body a rest. Yep. That was that day for me. And uh, I was actually sleeping in bed with you know my current wife and my ex-partner i don't know if i've told this story but here you go here it is okay. this is the story and it was like they were like two sides of a battery that i was in between and i just my consciousness just started to fucking journey i just started to go and the place that i went to was a place of where i could bring any reality i wanted to me or talk to any person or being yeah. or like i could talk to my teacher don howard i remember talking to my dad i talked to like a bunch of different people that i know where i was like having these conversations i could call to me like beautiful visions but if i didn't do anything if i just stayed still i was just in the black quantum possibility where nothing was moving yeah. or not it wasn't like i had a scenery or it wasn't like things were happening yeah it was like i could call them into existence right and then when I was done, they would vanish back into the black. Yeah. And it, it was a really fucking wild experience, especially being that I was on no psychedelics at all. Now, there's probably still some in my system that were lingering from my days of partying at Burning Man, yeah. sleep exhaustion, whatever. But that was really interesting. And I wonder, it feels to me like I have a good taste of what of where that place is. And it was beautiful. And it was very peaceful. And I also felt this call this like this allurement to a second death, which was the obliteration of my identification point and a merger back with the divine. Yeah. Where I would come back as a fucking microorganism or my mycelium or whatever. It would be like Or not I come just, back. Or not come back. Just complete merger with the all the all yeah. light, the all sound, the all color, the the, you know, Brahma. Yeah, that. Yeah, I know what you're talking about, man. I I've, I know that experience. I had a different experience, but I wasn't not sober. But you know, I do think that Burning Man, so like, there's so many different like levels of shifted, heightened consciousness mm -hmm. there, that you you kind of tune into that resonance whether you're totally. high or not, and especially when you're like falling asleep, you just sort of you tune into the collective there, and you can do all kinds of stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I've noticed. I gotta ask you though, man, what size bed? Did you have at Burning Man? <laughs> it was, <laughs> it was a, uh, it was like a queen. It was you like had a, a queen size yeah, bed. Yeah, I had a queen Burning size Man. bed in the back of the RV. Wow, I, I did, I did Burning Man the bougie way. You no, whatever you want to call it, you did it the right way. <laughs> I'm just, you know, I'm thinking the last time I was there, some rickety ass cot. Like you're in a fucking queen size bed, teleporting into the quantum field. It was fucking great. Wow. Yeah, that Fun. Was, was special. In Are you the, going this year? I'm going. Ah, uh, cool. You're probably not going with I'm kids. I'm not going. I can't go with kids. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was where I, that was where I met my wife, Ilana. And, you know, we had that one 
intimate kind of moment. Obviously, I was polyamorous with Whitney, so we had an intimate moment at Burning Man, and then we separated. And we're just friends for not separated, but nothing else happened for yeah. years, and we were just friends. And uh, but this is like a special. This is a big deal because our first time I saw her was in the dust that on the planet, cool. like That's friend wonderful. of a friend. And so this is the first time we get to go actually together as a couple and just tear it up. It's going to it be so much gonna fun. It is going to be a blast. This one's going to be so This one's going to be big because there's a lot of big pent up like, you know, ah, we can't do it. We can't do it. And now we're like, yes, we can. Yeah. Now we can fucking do it. I know. It's going to be the best. I almost went. I was about to go. I was burning man adjacent. And Aaron was like, go, go. You should do it. But like, man, I'm on the road right now. And any like we any time away from my kids, I just feel like, you know, they don't stay little that long mm. you know like soon they're not going to want to be around me i'm going to be an embarrassment to them so like <laughs> you know where it get it in yeah you want to get it in get yeah it in. i'm so glad you're in austin now brother this is this is a fucking Thank you. this is great this was so fun it was so fun chatting with you Aubrey. yeah always so is. cool to hang out with always is uh anything you want to point people to that you got going on obviously duncan trust family hour one of the best podcasts in the fucking game thank you you got comedy shows i'm sure you're posting yeah. those on different places that's all at duncantrussell.com when does this come out i don't know about three weeks yeah all the dates are at duncantrussell.com i've got lots of dates coming up come see me and listen to my podcast Fuck it's yeah. all there. i'm so glad we get to hang out man we're gonna play with some fucking tesla coils we're gonna play with yes. some synths and balloons. We're gonna get weird. And balloons. <laughs> Let's go and eat an ass out of eating chicken wings out of ass. Yeah. Maybe. We'll see. Yeah, the Texas dream. <laughs> <laughs> it's all coming together. Thanks so much, everybody, for tuning in. We love you. Bye. Thanks for tuning into the podcast, everyone. Make sure to like and subscribe the episode if you're interested in more from the Aubrey Marcus podcast. And if you're curious about our Fit for Service coaching events, we got a great one coming up in Sedona. Go to fitforservice.com and you'll see our latest offerings. Thank you so much. I'll see you next week.